Live Yikes. from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, man, we'd love to have you as a new guest. And uh, you can find out more about our Docs and Jocks sports medicine radio show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you find out about myself. I'm a sports medicine physician uh, with Texas Sport and Spine. Been doing the sports medicine gig for about the last 20 plus years and my co-host each week is the uh, voice of Grand Canyon University longtime sports broadcaster Ferris Potter. Ferris thanks for being with us today got a great show man. Yeah I'm excited man. We have some incredible guests Ferris we have on first we're going to have on Ollie Katie he's the strength and conditioning coach for the Texas Baseball Ranch and uh, we actually interviewed Ron Wolforth uh, previously he is the guy that uh, really is working with a lot of major league pitchers minor league pitchers uh, youth pitchers on uh, increasing their velocity and trying to do it in a safe manner. He talked about it on the show with us how they do a very special, specific, sports-specific uh, baseball pitchers throwing overhead athletes program uh, that's a strength conditioning program. Well, we're going to have on that strength conditioning coach, Ollie Katie, talking about how they do that. And then we're going to interview uh, head Hardin-Sims University football coach Jesse Burleson, a good friend of Docs and Jocks, good friend of myself and uh, Ferris that – Coach Burleson is going to be talking not only about the uh, Alonzo Stagg Division Three championship game coming up between Mary Harden Baylor and University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Remember, Harden Simmons University was ranked in the top ten in Division Three this year. One of their only losses was to Mary Harden Baylor, who's now playing for the championship. They played Mary Harden Baylor. Harden Simmons did the 2015 game, great game, hardest game Mary Harden Baylor's had all year. They're now playing in the championship, and we're talking about that and all the uh, big high school state championship. Uh, Texas high school state championship games coming up today, so including Wiley High School, which uh, has a number 47 on kickoffs, uh, Caleb Mutton, which is pretty fun to watch. But that's the, my proud dad moment thing right there I just did right there, Ferris. Was that was that noticeable? Did you notice that? No, it was good, man. Yeah, okay, he's, all right. He's a stud, dude. Sophomore, right. <laughs> starting, playing. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. so we're Let's excited go. about some Texas high school playoff football. And then we're going to be interviewing a physical therapist with D1 Abilene, Jeremy Carver. He's been working with uh, several of the high school football teams, including the state football uh, champions who are playing today in the championship game, I should say. Not champions yet. They're playing in the championship game. Wiley High School getting them ready for their big football game. And then we're going to be talking to Penn State team physician Pete Seidenberg. Pete and I were this uh, co directors of a sports medicine program at St. Louis University. Pete's now gone on to become the Penn State team physician. We talk about their uh, big turnaround at Penn State University. And we're going to be talking to Eddie Lackey, all, all Big 12 linebacker, about the resurgence of uh, – or the new, I'm sorry, the new head football coach there at Baylor University and uh, all the hires they've had and uh, kind of how they're turning that program around as well as the basketball team's doing great at Baylor University. So we'll be talking about all of that and more on your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Don't forget, you can follow us at doxnjox.com, doxnjocks.com. You're listening to Guy Talk live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. <sighs> My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a sport clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to sport clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport clips. It's good to be a guy. 
no one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the first time, remember you can follow us on social media by doing uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. You can find out how to follow us by going to our website, docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Do want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors. This segment is brought to you by Sports Clips, Buffalo Wild Wings, Marriott Hotels, as well as Joe Walker State Farm. Could not do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, I thought we could uh, jump into uh, probably something dear to your heart. You know, you're a sports broadcaster. I've been doing this uh, sports broadcasting thing for a long time. and currently doing it as the head sports broadcaster at uh, Grand Canyon University. But this week, uh, tragically, we lost one of the uh, sideline reporters and, and my, one of my favorite sports broadcasters, uh, Craig Sager. And we've talked about Craig in the past because, you know, he's been battling uh, acute myeloid leukemia, which is a cancer of the uh, blood cells and so it takes over your marrow and eventually you you don't have you're not have an inability to make your own uh, cells in your body your own uh, red blood cells and and uh, so you eventually succumb to it he, he underwent multiple treatments he's had been diagnosed since 2014 he was in remission for a while we talked about that on air and how good it was to see him in his very first NBA finals last year LeBron James had a funny quote when he uh, was interviewing him uh, during the finals. He said, how in the world is this your first finals in 30 years? <laughs> Couldn't believe that it had taken that long for Turner uh, Broadcasting to get him into the NBA finals. But he's probably most famous for his interviews he's had with Greg Popovich. They were must-watch TV. Popovich would, uh, you know, it can be a kind of a crusty, uh, how do you say it, Ferris, uh, somewhat difficult interview. I'm sure you've had a few of those in your career as a broadcaster and Sager always made it look easy and, and Popovich had some uh, amazing quotes that he said but tell us as a as a fellow sports broadcaster what it's like I don't, I don't think you necessarily you may have I'm, I may have missed it in your bio in the past but you know he was a sideline reporter you're kind of doing it on the fly you've done your research but interviewing people you've done a lot of interviews right after games with coaches and players tell us what that's like and how Craig Sager did his job and how he did it so well well, first of all, you know, when I, when I saw it, I actually saw the news on Twitter. Really sad, obviously. I mean, when anybody loses their life, but a guy like that, um, I think what made him so so unique was that he was was unique, and he didn't try to be cookie cutter like everybody else. You know, he didn't try to come up with catchphrases and taglines, and you know, like everybody kind of does to try to make themselves the the story. Um, a lot of sideline guys try to do the gotcha journalism. They try to yeah. get a quote from a guy. They try to catch a guy. Try to Try to get something that's going to blow up and go. Oh, Jim Gray, you know, got the guy to say this. Yeah. And Sager never did that. Sager was very. Uh, it was all about the game, and he knew his place in the game. Where he was a reporting on something special. It wasn't that he was special, and in the end, that's what made him special. And I think that's what made uh, a lot of guys respect him. Um, yeah, Popovich is like the Bill Belichick of the NBA, right? Sure, exactly. I, he's he's the smartest guy in the room, and he might be. And he doesn't really suffer fools lightly. And a lot of the people, quite frankly, that they put up there on the sideline are just there because they're either a pretty face or, you know, who knows why. We, we see a lot of sideline reporters. We go, what in the world? What, what kind of question was that? Hey, coach, you're down, you know, you're down 40 to nothing at the half. What do you think how your team's playing? You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah, stupid right. stuff. And Sager never yeah, did that. And right. um, 
I think he had a lot of respect from the guys, a lot of respect from the from the folks in the NBA. And um, I think it was just because he was an original, you know. He, yeah. he wore the, the 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 kind of the funky sport coats. He wore the tennis shoes, and he was just himself. And he didn't really get bent out of shape if a coach kind of bit his head off, or you know, if, if Popovich was kind of rude to him, he didn't he didn't let it affect him. I think that earned his respect. And so yeah, it was it was really sad to see uh, him pass. Um, he truly was one of a kind. I think that's what made him so special. He was one of a kind, but he wasn't trying to be necessarily one of a kind. He was just himself. The only thing he tried to be one of a kind in uh, was uh, dressing as well. Wow. Yeah, man. but that was, was him, right? That was like, him, man. Just, yeah. That was just who he was. It wasn't sometimes you see people and you go they go, Oh, I need a shtick. So yeah. I'll wear a bow tie to every postseason game. Well, you don't wear a bow tie other times, you know. Why do you yeah. wear a bow tie on the World Series broadcast? <laughs> right. You know, it's like it's like a shtick. Uh-huh. That wasn't him. That was just Craig Sager. That's just the way he was. Right. Hey, one of the uh, coaches you mentioned, and obviously Popovich is uh, very well known to everybody here in the Texas area in our listening area. But uh, I, I thought this was really uh, interesting. Popovich came out before the game when he found out he had passed the next game, and he kind of just walked past the reporters and said, I'm not taking any questions. I just have – I want to I say this. So this is what he said, Popovich said about his friend Craig Sager. He said, today basketball has to take a back seat as we think about somebody who was very, very unique, very special, Popovich said. Whether you really knew Craig or not, you got the feeling that he was a very special person in a lot of different ways, and right now I just feel for his family. So I thought that was a, a, a great moment where he said, hey, I'm not going to talk about the game tonight. We're going to do something a little bit bigger than basketball. We're going to talk about my friend Craig Sager. We're going to miss him as a person. He was a very special man. I thought that was pretty classy of Popovich. But he does have those moments. He can be crusty, but he does have the moments where he can, uh, I think, do the right thing for the right reason. I think that's why Popovich is so well-respected. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the thing is, those coaches, they don't agree to those interviews. They have to do those interviews. Yeah, right. And I think you saw when, when they sent Charles Barkley down to do the interviews one time. And it might have been when 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 Sager was was out sick. Yeah. And and he asked two questions and he tried to ask a third and Popovich goes, hey, hey you only get two and walked <laughs> off like that's contractually they're obligated to answer two, two questions. questions. And yeah. so you as a reporter have to say, OK, I can't waste time with hey coach. You know, how do you think the team played? I got to ask him. I got two questions with the guy. And if you ask if you ask a bad one, say he just goes he just says yes. You know, I mean, he wants to answer with one word. So I think that he they probably he probably earned Popovich's respect. Um, also, a lot of times the coaches they look at those guys and they think, oh, you know, if you just show up and you do your question and leave and you don't put the effort and the time in, I don't have any respect for you. Right. And Sager was a guy that you know, from all accounts, I didn't know him. He put the work in. You know, yeah. he was there. He did the research. He had legitimate questions. I think coaches respect that. Over time, you earn their respect by just being a professional in what you do. You yeah. know. I've listened to you do a lot of interviews uh, with your, what you do for a living with uh, Grand Canyon University there when you're, you're broadcasting baseball, basketball, whatever it is. Do you like to do interviews where you've had the ability to have look up, research, know your guest? Is, is that easier for you, or is it, is it uh, easier to do one kind of off the fly after a game? A player's had a great game. You didn't know you were going to be interviewing that guy. He just went off for 40, and now you're interviewing that player or that coach. I know they're very different in styles, but which do you enjoy more? Yeah, I think, you know, if you know you're interviewing and you got you got a halftime interview, let's say, you know, and yeah. you're going to talk to the, the golf coach. Well, you do your research and you kind of have you know, in your brain what questions you're going to ask him because nothing's really changed since the time you did your research. Yeah. When you're interviewing a guy like right after a game, Dwayne Russell went for 42 against Louisville. No idea he would do that. But, you know, Dwayne Russell and you know his background, and you know his story because you've done that research. But you just don't know exactly what questions you're going to ask. And then, you know, coaches are the, are the toughest because when you interview a coach after a game. You know, you as a fan or a broadcaster, you look and you go, wow, we only, you know, 
Well, I'll give you a perfect example. Dan Marley, you know, we, we, we lost to U of A on Wednesday at, by 10 at U of A. Well, that's a great game. You don't know if the coach is going to come out and be happy that they only lost by 10 on the road because that's a great game against a 19th team in the nation. Or you don't know if he's going to come out and go, we made 18 mistakes that we continually make all the time. So when you're asked the first question of, hey, coach, 10-point loss, how do you feel the team played? You get a gauge, and when he starts talking about all the mistakes he made, you go, okay, now this is a very different interview. Now i got to yeah. talk to him about all that. But if he comes on and goes, you know, I thought we played great. We only lost by 10. Sure, I wanted to win, but then now it's a – so you yeah. got to be able to pivot, yeah. but you have to have your research done before the interview starts so you're ready whichever direction he goes, you know, right. and Sager's that way too. You know, you know you're getting a coach walking off at the break. You have no idea what mood he's going to be in. You have no idea what's going to happen. You can formulate that first question, <laughs> but, man, yeah. depending on how Popovich or whoever answers that first question, that's going to inform you on how you approach the second question. Yeah. And no. I think the players really like Sager, too, because, it was like you said, he wasn't a guy that was out there trying to get a gotcha. I, there, you know, one of the moments, I think, when I look at Craig Sager and, and uh, looking back at his life, he uh, had a really, really poignant uh, speech at the ESPY Awards last year. You know, he knew he was probably going to die. This is He's coming out of remission. He's sick at the time. And he gives this speech, and this, this is one of the quotes from, a, from the uh, speech. Uh, Craig Sager said, Whatever I might have imagined a terminal diagnosis would do to my spirit, Sager said when receiving the award, it summoned quite the opposite, the greatest appreciation for life itself. So I will never give up, and I will never give in. I will continue to keep fighting, sucking the marrow out of life as life sucks the marrow out of me. I will live my life full of love and full of fun. It's the only way I know how. So I thought that was a great uh, quote. Those are kind of quotes that you want to be remembered by when you're you're gone. That was a great quote by Craig Sager. Yeah, I think the other thing about Craig Sager, and, 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 and we see – quite a few um, journalists that cover the NBA and, and other professional sports like this, but we also see a lot the other way. Yeah. Craig Sager, he didn't try the gotcha journalism. So I think guys respected him. They knew that he wasn't going to try, you know, when a coach or a player is kind of on, you know, upset, you can get them to tilt very easily with the kind of questions we see Jim Gray do it a lot. And I'm not saying Jim Gray is a good or bad journalist. I'm just saying we see Jim Gray needle people because he knows he can get them over that edge. Right. Uh-huh. Right. And that's just what he likes to do. Craig Sager didn't do that, but he also wasn't one of those guys who, you know, he liked the guys, but he wasn't trying to be their best friend or their right. buddy. And you, and you see some reporters like that where they're just happy to be bask in the light of, you know, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. And they're kind of like almost suck ups and sycophants and stuff. And they're just happy to be, you know, oh, look, I'm buddies with him. You know, no, you're not. You're a reporter. And, and Craig kind of knew his position. I think I think ultimately and it takes some time. Everybody had a ton of respect for the guy for, for those those reasons. He's very original. He wasn't trying to suck up and you know feel great because he hung around superstars, and he wasn't trying to catch anybody. He was just trying to go show up, do his job, and he had a genuine love for the game of basketball. Right. And that shone through, and everybody said, "Hey, okay, this guy's trying to help me elevate the game itself." Yeah. You know, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna trust him. And at the end of the day, I really think with a lot of guys, with a lot of broadcasters, you can tell the depth of their character with how they do their job. Yeah. Some of them are very arrogant, and it just bleeds through. You know, right, it's yeah. all about yeah, them. Yeah. Right. Some of them are the gotcha, and it just bleeds through. You're kind of a little, a little snake in the grass, you know. Yeah. Uh, but right. Craig seemed like a genuine, genuine artifact, a good guy who just loved what he did. Exactly. One of the best sideline reporters that we've uh, interviewed here on uh, Docs and Jocks was Christy Scales with the Dallas Cowboys. So I, uh, re- we reached out to Christy and asked for her uh, a quote for her regarding Craig Sager, who she hasn't met and didn't know. But she said this is her quote. She said, as a reporter, you work long and hard to earn the respect of your media peers. You have to work harder and longer to earn the respect of those athletes and coaches you cover. 
The outpouring of love and respect from the tops in their respective fields for Craig Sager since his passing proves the level of respect he earned during the years of broadcasting. I thought that was uh, very apropos, and I think on that note uh, from Christy Scales, who yep. does what he does at the NFL level as opposed to the NBA, it says a lot about his life. It's sad. Uh, we'll, our thoughts and our prayers go out to Craig Sager's family. It's sad. We haven't lost Vince Scully yet as a person. We lost him as a broadcaster. I think losing Craig Sager on the sideline reporter in the NBA and losing Vince Scully in the booth this year with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers for baseball are two sad moments in my broadcasting uh, hero award <laughs> section. So, hey, we'll be right back with an interview with Ollie Cady, the strength conditioning coach for Texas Baseball Ranch after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Comes you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the very first time, uh, we'd love you to go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. There you can follow out how to find us, follow, follow up on... Uh, where to find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, we're there. And uh, also, you can listen to our show on our podcast. Just download us, uh, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, on iTunes. You can listen to us that way as well. I want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors, including Lawrence Hall Chevrolet and First Financial Bank. Could not do our show without our wonderful sponsors. Uh, Ferris and Ferris Potter is the voice of Grand Canyon University, my longtime co-host here on Docs and Jocks. Ferris, we have the honor of having on a great guest today, Ollie Cady. Ollie is the throwing performance coach at the Texas Baseball Ranch. And for those of you who haven't heard about the Texas Baseball Ranch, we did an interview uh, several months ago with a uh, good friend of Docs and Jocks, Ron Wolforth. And Ron started a program down there where he takes pitchers of all caliber, young you know, youth pitchers, uh, college pitchers, professional pitchers, and he works with them on trying to improve their ability not only in their form and technique of throwing but also on the velocity and increasing their miles per hour on their throwing velocity. So we have on his throwing performance coach, Ollie Cady. And, Ollie, thanks for being on the show with us. Absolutely, guys. Thank you, Dr. Dan, for having me. Appreciate it. First of all, your background goes straight into uh, throwing. You were a college pitcher yourself for Missouri Western, so it has to help you in your job now where you're working with overhead throwing athletes and trying to improve their mechanics when that's what you did as a college baseball pitcher yourself. It had to help with your job you're currently doing. Absolutely. So, um, yes, I, w- I went to Missouri Western. Um, it was uh, really the only place that gave me a, you know, an opportunity at a high school um, being a you know kind of low velocity guy in Southwest Missouri, you know 82 miles an hour out of high school, and uh, so I went up there, spent four years at Missouri Western, um, and uh, and had a pretty good career. Um, and then kind of kind of funny story, I actually didn't discover the ranch as a I was a student first. I didn't discover the ranch until I was 22 years old. Oh wow! Um, and, uh, and and that's when uh, uh, you know I, I gained the velocity that I needed, and and, and I, I kind of transformed myself as a thrower. Um, one thing led to another, and um, you know, after kind of back and forth for a couple of years, I, I ended up coming on as a, as a full-time employee. And, and so that I, I think you're right. My experience as a college pitcher really helps, but the cool thing that really helps our clients um, and that I help a, a great deal with is just being able to re- relate to, to some of the things that they're dealing with out there in the real world of baseball and some of those uh, I help bridge the gap, so to speak, there. Um, so that's kind of my role um, uh, here, not only the guys that, that are here on site training with us, but also keeping in touch with with some of our uh, clients uh, from a remote basis. You know, you have to have these moments like I do with my son. My son's a, a baseball player. He's a sophomore in high school, and so he's a catcher and hitter, and so he go, we go all around doing hitting lessons. And I, when I listened to him, I was a Division I college baseball player. And every time I listened to him do a, do a lesson with another great hitting instructor and guys like yourself, I think, oh, if I'd have only known that during my career. Do you have those moments <laughs> every now and then when you're learning this stuff about throw, overhead throwing athletes? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I, I still, it's funny, I still call myself, I'm 26, I still call myself a, an active thrower. I, yeah. I, I, I throw and I work out, you know, I do our things that, that I teach. I think that it makes me a really, really good teacher when, when I can feel the things that I'm relaying on. You know, it's one thing to have a guy who uh, sits on a bucket at the end of a cage and, and catches your bullpen or yeah. tells, you to, tells you to do this, do that. But, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's, it's really fun to be able to do the things that I teach and that I train for guys. And then, uh, you know, um, because at the end of the day, it's, uh, I know what it feels like. I know what, uh, what it can help. And, and that, that makes it really cool. So uh, tell us, Ollie, when someone comes in, just walk us through the process. So uh, a young high school uh, overhead-throwing athlete, baseball pitcher, comes in, and he says, hey, I'm here at the baseball ranch. I want you to work with me. Kind of walk us through that process of how you take that young man, evaluate him, trying to look at what the different things you're looking for to make him a better pitcher. Absolutely. So so here at the ranch, uh, you mentioned Coach Ron Wolforth, uh um, a little bit before, but he's a, you know he's our owner and CEO, and, and uh, he's been in it for a long time. He's been uh, in, in kind of individual private sector throwing for about 26, 27 years now. Um, and about eight years ago, he coined the term, and it's actually a trademark term. It's, 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 it reads, start with the pain. And so what we do first is we, we, we believe that every single thrower, overhead thrower, every pitcher, um, or, or, or any position player um, in baseball um, deserves to throw without pain. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a common, you know, thought in the baseball world today that, that, hey, pain is part of the deal. It's what you signed up for. You know, hey, you know, don't be a wuss. You know, don't, you know, throw through it, all these sort of things. Um, and, and, of course, you know, you guys know and, 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 and we know here at the ranch that, that pain is a, is a signal from, you know, from, uh, from your body saying, hey, you know, cut this out. Or, or if there's not damage already, there's, this is a sign that there could possibly be you know, damage in the soft tissue and the throwing arm or, or really anywhere in the body. So um, every single athlete that comes to the Texas Baseball Ranch, we start with the paint. And so we'll always ask them, we'll, we'll put them through, um, it's a little packet, about four pages long, and, and we'll give them an audit. Um, we call it a pain audit. And basically they'll describe to us, you know, where, you know, we've got, you know, the cool little anatomy pictures where, you know, they can circle the area where it, where it hurt, gives them the most trouble when they're throwing or, or after they're throwing. Um, and so they, they rate it um, on really a simple scale from zero to ten. What they think uh, is is their feeling of pain. So we always tell them if you threw a hundred pitches tonight, you know where would you feel it right after, or where would you feel it the next day the yeah. most, and, and to what degree. And so that really gives us a good clue as to where to look for the rest of the weekend or week or or, or you know month, however long they're staying. It gives us a really good starting point um, and kind of a clue on on where we can look at some of those inefficiencies and maybe their delivery. In their training, um, in their in their in their physical structure, things like that, um, and and so that's what we want to do. So really, from from ev- for every thrower, if you can eliminate pain, yeah, and and you can you can make them feel good throwing. Um, nine times out of ten, they're they're going to throw the baseball harder if that's their goal. Um, they're going to throw with better command. They're going to throw with better off speed stuff because they just their body feels good doing it. And and the, you know, there's not that governor so to speak holding them back. Right. Um, and then the and then the step further would just be the recovery. So maybe they don't have the acute pain, you know, in the medial elbow or in the anterior shoulder. Maybe they don't deal with serious acute pain that you know they might rate. Yeah. Uh, but maybe they have a hard time recovering for their next outing, and they're very inconsistent inconsistent in their performance. Right. Um, and we deal with a lot of that. So the, so recovery and, and pain kind of go together. And that's what we take a look at first. Okay. Hey, we're talking to Coach uh, Ollie Katie here. He's a throwing performance coach at Texas Baseball Ranch. Talking to him here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Ferris, you had a question for Coach Katie? Yeah, Ollie, I was just wondering, you know, I'm sure you see tons of kids. 
Are there any uh, common things that, that most everybody's doing maybe incorrectly that you see? What are the most common things you see when somebody first shows up at the ranch? Well, that's a good question. You know, we, we see thousands of kids. We, we do a lot. We do about 15 camps at, at home a year, and then we also do um, uh, road camps where we travel across the United States. Actually, uh, you know, jumped the pond and went over to Europe this year wow. um, to have a couple clinics over in Italy. Uh, yeah, in October. It was, it was a really good time. But um, really, it's, it's tough to answer. I mean, there are, there are certain inefficiencies in the, deliv- in the delivery, you know, when we take a look at them on video that are pretty common. Um, a couple of what we call disconnections, things that they're doing that's, that's uh, you know, keeping them from being as efficient as they could when they throw the baseball. Um, but really, I would say the number one thing is, is the physical structure. So we take them through, uh, especially the younger guys, uh, as you see it a lot, we take them through a kind of a head-to-toe, you know, a basic FMS screening. We call it the BRAT. It's the Baseball Ranch Assessment Tool. Um, our partner out in Florida, Randy Sullivan, who um, developed the Florida Baseball Ranch, um, they're not the same entity, the same company, but they are kind of our, our recovery and uh, return to throwing wing, rehab wing. And he came up with, um, you know, a, a, a baseball-specific baseball ranch assessment tool. We take a look at guys, you know, we'll take a look at how, how well do their scaps move, how well they can, can they support their weight at certain end ranges of motion, how well, um, you know, can they move their body parts. And so the, the number one constraint, I think, for most young athletes is that they just don't really understand or, or they've never really – train some of those things because you know today's day and age with with what kids are doing you know they're not separating their body parts on a daily basis they're not you know it's 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 something that we're seeing that you know um it's given us a, a real trouble sometimes for younger guys uh being able to to take care of those things first because at the end of the day if we don't take care of those things and we try to add a bigger motor to that young man you know we try to make him stronger um adding strength on top of dysfunction uh, it could be catastrophic um, and so we want to make sure that certain things are in balance in their bodies um, before we start adding, you know, the muscle or the mass or, or even start, you know, talking about their delivery and, and, and putting them on a really good throwing program to make them throw harder or whatever. Um, that's when you see problems down the road. And so I would say from the, from, for young athletes, uh, you, know, um, you know, that's probably the number one constraint. We've got we to gotta put them on some corrective exercises, things like that, put them on a strict regimen before we really start ramping them up. And Alia, here's a question I have, and I think I know the answer to it, but it's a question that probably gets asked by our listening audience a lot. And I remember hearing these uh, these stories when I was a kid. It was uh, always felt that you were basically what you, how hard you could throw was your genetics. You were given a certain muscle type, and because of that, that's the uh, how hard you could throw. And you're never going to be a great pitcher if you couldn't couldn't uh, you know do it from a young age. So, can you truly mm-hmm. increase the velocity of young pitchers, or is it just all God given? You can absolutely increase the velocity of young pitchers. It's it's you know genetics does certainly plays a role you know we, we would never say it doesn't play a role but genetics um coach Wolforce says it all the time and and um you know genetics tells us where we start it doesn't tell us where we finish and it oh, gives some yeah. guys a little bit better gives some guys a little bit better of a, of a, a starting line right it's yeah. just that's just the way the way it goes um sometimes but i've seen time and time again athletes come in um and there are things that are that are holding them back we believe at the Texas baseball range that every literally every single athlete that we see um, can be a 90-mile-an-hour guy. We just got to sit there and chip away the things that are holding him back from doing that. Um, we see him as kind of a big, you know, block of, of marble, and we're trying to, you know, chip away those things that are that are holding him back or constraining that athlete. And so I've seen it time and time again. You know, we do it every we we get, we, we increase velocity for athletes every single day here at the ranch. And um, and you know, I, I mentioned earlier I was a student. This is something I was 22 years old, an 83, 84-mile-an-hour guy out of college. 
Um, and so most people would say, hey, yeah, you know, he, he got the most out of what he could do, um, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and, and I came to the ranch and discovered some really cool things as a student. And, and so personally, it's something that worked for me. I got up to, you know, 91, 92 miles wow. an hour. I gained about eight miles an hour in about six months. So yeah. as a 22-year-old guy. Yeah. Um, and so, so absolutely, it's, um, you know, there, there, of course, genetics does play a role. But uh, we, we gained velocity, or we, uh, excuse me, we, um, we develop velocity every single day. We're interviewing uh, Ollie Cady, uh, one of the coaches and uh, throwing performance coaches at the Texas Baseball Ranch here on Docs and Jocks. Fair, she had a question for Ollie. Yeah, Ali, you mentioned about getting onto a throwing program. You know, when, when Dr. Dan and I were growing up, I think the throwing program was just you go out and throw whenever the mood struck here, whenever yeah, baseball right. season started. Mm-hmm. How, how young should, should guys start uh, with an actual legitimate throwing program? And what are the best ways if they can't make it down to the ranch? Or, you know, what are some of the best ways for, for a dad out there listening that's got a kid who, you know, wants to pitch, wants to throw? What are some of the best ways to get him started on a legitimate throwing program? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so somebody who never sees us, um, we always tell the young guys, the young athletes that, that, um, you know, especially, and this does go against, you know, some of the common, you know, uh, thoughts or teaches out there today, but, but our, our young guys got to throw more, you know, um, they just got to throw more from a younger age to develop the healthy and durable arm that they need when they, when they get to high school. Problem with, with all this workload stuff is, um, you know, when we get to high school and, and the, the, the young athlete hasn't developed like they used to, you know, Nolan Ryan read some of the things that, that he's written. Nolan Ryan used to, um, you know, get a bucket of balls out and, and throw it and then go pick them up and turn around and do the same thing on the way back. It's really cool when you don't, he didn't have, you know, any coaches or anything like that. Uh, his body was able to, to organize itself from a young age of, of what was efficient is his infinite um, intelligent body, you know, figured those sort of things out from a young age. So anybody with a young athlete, I would say just throw more and it can be simple catch, you know, with their dad, it can be um, a long toss um, and, and long toss. What is long toss? Well, it, it has several different meanings across, you know, across the baseball world, but just simple catch from a young age and doing it a little bit every single day is much better than, Hey, let's throw toy twice a week. Uh, for an hour, you know, why not get outside and, and, and go stretch it out a little bit for, you know, 25, 30 minutes a day if, if you can squeeze it in. Um, and so just, just from a young age, throwing more um, as they get older, they're, they're all of a sudden, you know, when they hit high, you know, middle school, high school time, they're going to be that guy who's developed a healthy and durable arm, um, you know, because of that. So just doing a little bit every day, I think, is a lot more important than trying to hit it hard once or twice a week. And, and that's kind of the common misconception in, in baseball. Just just get out there and lay the arm back and get it thrown. Hey, Ollie, you're one of our favorite guys now. Cause we, <laughs> we hear all the time, we're like, you got to throw more. And I'm going to set Dr. Dan up for the great Bob Feller quote that he yeah. always kind of tries to throw in <laughs> yeah. about this time. What did Bob Feller say? <laughs> he, said he, never, he said he never saw an arm get stronger from lack of throwing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, exactly. We always say, we always say that, um, you know, if rest was the key, you know, everybody would be throwing 96 miles an hour. Yeah, so. right. That's, oh, I like that's, that. That's awesome. That is. That is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on the show, man. Our interview has been too short. Ali, uh, just here in our last uh, minute or so, tell us if, if, if our listening audience is here in the big country in Texas, so obviously get down to the baseball ranch if one of our parents or one of our kids are listening to you and they want to become part of the Texas baseball ranch or find out more about it or find out how, more of your philosophy, how would they go about doing so? Absolutely. So you can go online. You can go to TexasBaseballRanch.com, and there's a, a DVD and an information packet request, uh, a free We'll send out a big packet of information, which includes a DVD and uh, some of the things that, that really lay out the program and what's going to happen. 
um, our, what, what we do mostly is we'll have three-day weekend clinics. So you can kind of get in and out and learn a ton of stuff yeah. in three days, and we have them all throughout the year. We've got a couple more. Uh, we've got one this weekend before Christmas, um, and then we've got some at the turn of the new year um, that with a couple spots left. So if you guys want to um, go on um, and, 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 uh, and get registered for that, you can. Um, if, if you want to request the packet, learn a little bit more before you pull the trigger on something like that, you can as well. And then, of course, our full summer schedule will be coming out here in the, uh, in the spring, which includes about six to seven. We call them elite pitchers boot camps. Those are those three-day oh, yeah. clinics. Awesome. Um, so, so go online. Thanks so much, Coach Katie. Uh, the Texas Baseball Ranch, go find out more about it and uh, maybe become a better thrower in doing so. We thank you so much for coming on Docs and Jocks. We'll pass your uh, good wishes on to your good friend and fellow strength conditioning coach, uh, Hayden Little, who's now one of our D1 Abilene coaches. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, thanks Dr. Dan. Thanks, Barry. All right. Hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Just catching our show for the first time. Want to find out more about it or maybe listen to it at your convenience? You can find out more about it at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can listen to the show anytime you uh, wish to listen to it at your convenience on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And uh, joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster, the voice of Grand Canyon University out in Phoenix, Arizona. Ferris, we have, uh, we're honored to have on one of our very good friends of Docs and Jocks, one of my very good personal friends, Coach Jesse Burleson, the head, ba- the head baseball coach. Coach Burleson, you're taking on a new role. The head football coach at the Hardin-Simmons University, one of the winningest programs uh, in the last uh, two decades of any, le- at, uh, any level, really, but Division Three has been a powerhouse football team there. Coach Burleson was an offensive lineman uh, at Hardin-Simmons University before coming to the head football coach. He was an All-American offensive lineman. And uh, last this last year, first of all, congratulations on a 9-2 and record this last year coach Burleson I appreciate you guys having me on and yeah it was a, it was a good year for the Cowboys definitely not uh, not satisfied but I'm not really sure if anybody is unless you're winning that very last one so it was, uh, it was a good one to build on but we're definitely not satisfied we're looking forward to the future for sure absolutely and one of the reasons we're talking to you today is because that very last one is getting ready to do, uh, be played at the division three level the Alonzo Stag Bowl uh, the championship uh, division three game is getting ready to be played between Mary Harden Baylor and University of Wisconsin Oshkosh you had uh, you went down with your staff last uh, week and watched Mary Harden Baylor have a big win over uh, Mount Union, and now they're getting ready to play University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. You know Mary Harden Baylor very well; they're in the same conference as uh, Harden Simmons University. You played them this year to a twenty to fifteen game, probably the hardest game Mary Harden Baylor had all year long. So, tell us a little bit about that uh, number one matchup with Mary Harden Baylor playing number four, a uh, nationally ranked University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and where you think it's going to come down to. Well, I think it should be a really good game. I mean, obviously, when you look at the national championship game, you expect both the teams to be the the two best teams in the country. And I think that uh, if you look at the way those two teams are playing and what they're doing, they've definitely uh, proven that they they've earned the right to be there. Uh, with with Wisconsin Oshkosh, they've played one of the toughest schedules in the nation. I mean, absolutely brutal. They've played, um, I think, three top ten teams within their conference. Yeah, uh, you know, because uh, Whitewater. Wisconsin Whitewater is always a powerhouse, and they beat those guys and. Um, John Carroll, who actually beat Mount Union uh, to end their their home winning streak of like 122 games, I mean something unbelievable. Uh, so they've definitely earned their their right to be there. Then uh, when you look at those guys in Belton, uh, obviously they they've done the same thing. They had a pretty tough task coming through, you know, having to play Linfield and uh, Mount Union and those things. The, the thing that really helped uh, both of those teams is, is drawing a number one seed. 
yeah. in the Division Three playoffs, they right. they played every game at home in the playoffs. Yeah, so that's whenever amazing. you can play playoff games at home, that gives you a distinct advantage, and I think that that definitely paid off for both of those teams for sure. Right, Ferris. Yeah, Coach Burleson, when you when you look back at your season, I, I know you you said you know you're not satisfied unless you're playing in that final game. Walk us through kind of the mindset of a coach. I mean, nine and two, anybody would go, man, that's an incredible season. But I remember talking to Coach Marley out here at GCU one time, and he said, Michael, what you don't understand is for a coach, um, losing is misery and winning is simply relief. It's even hard to enjoy. It's just a relief that you win, but losing is just such misery. <laughs> great it, it, it really is. That is a great way to put it. And, and I think that uh, kind of the way you look at it from, from a coach's perspective is, is, honestly, we hate losing more than we love winning. <laughs> and I know that probably sounds crazy to some people, but it, but it really is. It's just that, that disdain, that absolute disgust of, of putting in all that time and all that effort and all that work and then coming up short on, on, on the end of a game. And, and you just look back and you say, man, what, what could we have done different? And you start second-guessing and you look at uh, all the different things that you put into it. And if you don't come out on top, then it's just it's absolutely um, sickening <laughs> at, at times. And so I think that's really the – most successful coaches, they'll tell you that, that they just they literally just hate losing more than, than they love winning because that, that, that relief that you, that you said, that you spoke about, and that, that love of, of, the, uh, of winning, it goes away so quickly because you've got to switch your focus to the next game. So right. it's, uh, that, that loss stays with you a lot longer than that win does, that's for sure. And we're talking about Division Three football. Uh, you and I, obviously, I'm um, team physician for Hardin-Simmons University, and you've uh, been the head coach at Hardin-Simmons, a powerhouse Division Three football program. For those that are listening audience who don't know, maybe never heard of the Alonzo Stag Bowl and don't really know a lot about Division Three football, it's non-scholarship. But talk to your listening audience how, even though they're non-scholarship players, it does not mean and it does not translate to lack of talent. There are guys in Division Three in the pros now. Division Three linemen are over 300 pounds. Talk to us about Division Three football and what, what it kind of entails. Yeah, I, that, that's a good point. I think that if you uh, if somebody has not seen us play, I strongly encourage them to come out and watch us play uh, whenever they get a chance next fall because I think they'd be shocked with the with the level of talent that's on the field. Now, whenever people say we're non-scholarship, that's kind of a misnomer. We're non-athletic scholarship. Exactly right. Uh, but but ninety percent of our players, at least if not ninety-five percent, are on uh, academic scholarships because they they are very uh, very adept in the classroom of, of doing really good things. And I, I think that the uh, the, the, the way I put it, everybody asks, you know, do I want to move up? Do I want to go coach at a, at a higher level with scholarships and things like that? And, and to be honest with you, I, I honestly believe that the that the Division three level is the most pure form of football that's left. Because if, if the guys will sacrifice and do the things that they have to do in order to play at our level, they they have to have a true passion for the game. And it's even different than high school because, you know, there's there's a lot of high school kids, very honestly, they just want to wear the jersey to the pep rally and, uh, you know, get to tell everybody they're a football player. But to do what our guys do, it, it, it's an amazing sacrifice just to see what they do and the way that they – work and the way they go to class and the way they do all those things just because they have a passion to play. I mean, I don't think there's anything better in terms of the game of football. And Ferris, you had a question for Coach Burleson? Yeah, Coach, I mean, that, that's a great segment of what I was going to ask. I mean, it, Division three seems to be, you mentioned the purest form, but kind of what college athletics started out way for guys that continue to play, but it, the, the mindset was, hey, we're going to play and be excellent on the field, but we're here to get an education and and make that next step. And I know some colleges that have, you know, been D2 for a while and then stepped back to D3 for that very reason. They want to attract that type of kid that is just a different type of kid that's going to the NAIs or the D2s or even the D1s. Some of them choose to play that D3 because of that pureness of, of the sport. 
It, that's exactly right. I mean, and if you really look at the uh, at our guys specifically, I mean, the way we recruit is kind of kind of backwards, to be honest with you. Whenever we're trying to uh, determine what kind of guys can come and not only help us on the field, but but be a Harden Simmons guy to be a, to be a Cowboy, it's very difficult to do. We look at their character first and foremost, and if they don't pass the the character test, and that's pretty much the end of the line for recruiting. Uh, after that, we go. We look at their academic ability, and we look at what they've done over the long haul. Have they have they been a, a consistent high performer in the classroom? And then, if they pass those two parts of the criteria, then we try to find great players. But we don't go backwards. We don't look for great players, and then we say, okay, maybe we can get this guy into school somehow, and, and then maybe we can, you know, hopefully keep him out of trouble while he's here. I mean, it, it's a it's a very difficult. Uh, very difficult kind of kid to find. But whenever we find them and they come, I think they have a they have an awesome uh, experience both on and off the field. Well, Coach Burleson, we are interviewing the head football coach at the Hardin Simmons University, uh, Coach Jesse Burleson. Let's talk about the other form of the most pure, pure football in all of the world, Texas high school football. And I know you're a I man. A job as a head coach at a college always uh, entails basically twenty four seven all year long. So you're getting ready to go watch some great football today. Uh, it's going to be played at uh, Jerry Jones uh, AT and T Stadium. And we're going to see uh, not only uh, two uh, West Texas teams, we're going to see Sweetwater uh, playing West Orange Stark, and we're going to see Abilene Wiley playing Carthage. But also uh, you've gotten some really good recruits lately out of Alito, and they're going to be playing uh, Corpus Christi, Cal Allen. Tell us, uh, for maybe our listening audience uh, isn't only in Texas, a lot of it is, but uh, not all of it. Tell us, for those who aren't in our uh, listening audience and from Texas, what Texas high school football championship football looks like and feels like once you get there and why it really is truly one of the purest forms of football. It's an amazing experience. I know people have seen uh, AT&T Stadium, seen the Cowboys play there in the NFL, and they uh, they see the environment and the stadium and those things, but there's nothing like watching the effort that those kids put out on that field. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, if this tells you something, yesterday they played the uh, the uh, 2A state championship game there, uh, which is the, basically the smallest level of 11-man football. So those, right. those schools probably have uh, maybe 150 kids in the whole high school. And there was fifteen thousand people at that state championship game there yesterday. Wow! Uh, so if that if that tells you anything, what we're expecting as we go through probably uh, tonight in that Alito game, and then tomorrow in the uh, in the upper divisions, uh, there'll probably be anywhere from from thirty five to forty thousand people at each one of those games, and it's a it's a pretty phenomenal experience whenever you can look up there and see high school football games drawing that many people over an extended period of time. And it's a, it's, it's just an amazing experience. If nobody, if nobody's ever experienced, you can come in, in three days and you can watch 12 games. Yeah. Uh, that's tough to beat. That, yeah. That's a, that's a football <laughs> coaches and a football fans dream. Right it there. is. Absolutely. And I get it. I get, I'm going to be one of those 40,000 today watching Wiley. My son's going to be playing with them, uh, playing against Carthage. So I'm very, very excited. In fact, we're heading out after the show today to go watch some football. Ferris, you had a question for coach Burleson? Yeah, Coach, what's the makeup of your squad? Are, are the majority of your kids from the state of Texas, the vast majority? Yeah, uh, we, we have just very few uh, out-of-state uh, kids because of the, the talent pool that we have here in the state of Texas. We really don't have to go outside uh, of the state to go find the kind of players that we need. We may have one or two on the entire roster that are from out-of-state, and they've kind of uh, been guys that have looked us up and recruited us as opposed to us going out and trying to find those people uh, outside the state. So, yeah, I'd say probably 98% of our team is Texas kids. Yeah, I think that, that's a nice that's a nice thing to have. I know out here in Phoenix, you know, Coach Stankowitz in baseball, he doesn't have to go outside of Arizona much to recruit baseball players, you know, which is kind of nice. You get a, a kid from Southern California or Colorado every now and again. But the, the only problem with that, Coach, is uh, everybody wants those Texas 
it. So you guys got to fight against all the other Texas schools want those guys too, right? Yeah, it's funny because everybody says, oh, well, now that the season's over, you know, you got some time and, you know, you can rest and relax a little bit. And uh, I say, no, actually, it's uh, we are much, <laughs> much, much busier during recruiting season than we are during the actual football season because recruiting never stops. I mean, it literally doesn't. I mean, uh, last night, uh, sitting here at home watching the uh, the, the Mineola and uh, Yoakum State Championship game last <laughs> night, and my phone's blowing up, and it's 1030 at night, and uh, you better respond. You, yeah. you better be on those those guys to answer the questions and to give them a better feel for Harden Simmons and those things. So it's, uh, I mean, it is it is it is nonstop. And if you uh, the way the way I, I kind of heard uh, somebody put it one time, as they said, uh, recruiting is kind of like shaving. If you take one day off, you look like a bum. So you better be doing it every <laughs> single day. So we 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 do we we battle and we uh, we try to sell the product that we have and make kids understand exactly what they're getting into and hopefully provide a. A great experience for them once they once they come and uh, visit Harden Simmons and, and hopefully find them a home for the next four years. Yeah, coach. You know, we we played basketball down at U of A, and they're the number nineteen team in the country. And they kind of you would think they recruit themselves, but immediately after our game ended, Sean Miller, the coach of UVA, U of A, jumped on a plane and went out to California to recruit a kid. So <laughs> you might have a recruiting coordinator, but it's up to you, the head coach, to get those guys you really want in the fold. Yeah, ultimately, it all uh, you know it trickles downhill. So it starts at the top, and if I'm not doing uh, my part of it, then uh, then, it, then it's not going to go very well. And uh, luckily, I've got a great staff, and they do a phenomenal job, and they're tireless recruiters and tireless workers. So uh, we end up making a pretty good team, and, and usually can identify um, and then get those guys there, and then hopefully seal the deal once we get them on campus. You know, it's got to be nice for you. And one of the things you've done very well at Hardin Simmons University is been able to capture some of the local uh, area schools and get those kids to start coming to Hardin Simmons University. So it's got to be beneficial for you when you see teams like Sweetwater, Abilene Wiley, Alito, schools that are within our range really to come out and, and see it. Those kids that are making these teams the championship teams they are, and you're able to pull those kids into Hardin Simmons, at least some of them. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, if you look at the nucleus of our, our roster, it's going to be a lot of uh, big country West Texas kids that, that make up the uh, the majority of those guys. For Wiley, for example, I mean, we, we recruited and, and uh, were able to, to get three different guys from, from off of that Wiley team last year. Yeah. You usually think, man, there's not going to be three guys from one team uh, that can play at that level, and all three of those guys uh, not only played uh, – this year but played at a high level and also all three of them did phenomenal in the classroom by the way i mean they were all over a a 3.5 gpa so if that tells you anything that's definitely the right kind of guy for us and and that's what we're building on taking these local guys building them but then adding in our guys from the metroplex and central texas and you know the the panhandle and and uh even the houston and and adding those guys to the mix it definitely uh, creates a very uh very unique atmosphere and a very unique team yeah sure Hey, Coach, I'm always amazed at how, you know, like we mentioned, you know, the coach at U of A going out there, you're going down to watch football. you got to really have a passion for the game to do what you do, and you got to love just sitting in different stadiums and high schools all around all around the state of Texas watching football. Is that what you look for in assistant coaches? You mentioned you really rely on your team a lot. Is that what you look for when you're hiring an assistant coach, a guy who's got just a passion for football and a passion for kids? No, most definitely. I mean, that's probably going to be first and foremost. You know, of course you want to have guys that are, uh, that are very intelligent and are good with X's and O's and and all those things, but it's it, that's not even where we go first. What I look for is they, they just you hit the nail on the head. If they don't have a passion, if they don't absolutely love this game and everything that that goes with it, I mean literally every single part of it, the recruiting, the uh, the coaching day in day out, the, the helping with academics, all of those different things, and they're they're not a good fit for our staff. 
And then from there, they've got to be tireless workers, too. And then you go to the intelligence part, you go to the X's and O's, you go to the schemes and those things. But if they don't really love each and every part of the process, then they're not going to make it very long with us uh, because it's uh, the process is uh, very, very difficult and time-consuming, but it, it pays unbelievable dividends at the end of it. I mean, if you look at uh, whenever our guys, you know, we had, we, I think we had 17 guys graduate uh, two weeks ago, and then whenever you can have uh, guys that have been a part of the program or still a part of the program that are that are graduating with a, more than just a piece of paper but a meaningful degree, yeah. and then you see those guys five or six or ten years down the road and they come back and they've got their families and they're, you know, they, they talk about the lessons that they learned going through the program and how it's helped them be a better husband and, and be a right. better father and be, be a better employee, then you know you're doing it for the right reasons, and that's right. exactly what we look for. Hey, we've been talking to head football coach Jesse Burleson, uh, the head football coach of one of the greatest football programs in the country. Coach Burleson, uh, good luck. Hope you bring home some uh, blue-chip players from that the uh, Sweetwater, Abilene High, Alito games, and uh, keep on uh, building that great program there at Hardin-Simmons. Thank you for being on Docs and Jocks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Just catching a show for the very first time. Want to find out more about it? Go to docsandjocks.com. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. We're coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene. We're actually, our studio is inside of the uh, uh, actual training facilities. We're watching some young athletes, young adults out here working out right now. There's some, uh, I say young adults, but there's some people. You know, Ferris says you get to be 50-year-old. Uh, everybody's a young adult anymore. You know what I mean? So they're, they're all <laughs> me. But, yeah, there's a lot of great uh, adults out here working out. There's some people out in the weight room doing strength training. There's some people out on boot camp on the field doing the uh, boot camp. Man, it's a great atmosphere. If you ever want to come try it out, if you're in the D1 Abilene or Abilene Big Country area, you want to try it out, you get a free trial at uh, D1 Abilene. All you've got to do is go to D1Abilene.com and uh, contact us there, and you get a free trial. Come check it out and see if it's the place for you. It's a small group workout with a personal coach at every visit. So don't want to miss uh, D1 Abilene, but it might be a place for you. A lot of people this time of the year, Ferris, and you and I are getting ready to do a Spartan race, so you and I have been training and getting ready for that. By the way, how's your training going? As I mentioned that before I talk about our New Year's resolution, how's your training going for the Spartan race? My my train is going unbelievable. I am going to be so ready for this thing. I'm I'm pumped, man. Well, sweet man, what are you, what are you doing? Is that uh, sarcastic or is that for real? <laughs> no, that's for real. You know how you kind of speak things into existence. Yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to speak it into existence. No, man, I've been doing the P90X, and then I'm gonna get. I'm gonna start my running program uh, at the first of the year. I hate running, so I'm starting it in January. But I already got it all mapped out. What I'm gonna do? There you go. Do some sprint work. I'm gonna be ready to go, man. Although I do think there might be times where I'm gonna need you to like toss me over walls and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, that's what so partners are for. That. Oh yeah, that's why we. Uh, that's why we do that. Uh, why you do Spartan races with friends with a group is uh, to help each other there you out. Go. Absolutely, man. So yeah, I I uh, yesterday did a boot camp here at D1 Abilene. I did a boot camp called A Thousand Reasons Why I Love Boot Camp. And Coach Hess, our head strength conditioning coach, who's been on the show, a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Coach David Hess uh, runs our programs here. He did uh, a thousand reps. So you did ten different exercises, a hundred reps of each one of those exercises, and you can split it up however you wanted to. But you did at the end a thousand reps. So a thousand reasons why I love boot camp was the name of the workout yesterday. <laughs> Just getting ready for my Spartan race. Nice. What were what were the uh, what were the exercises? Do you remember? Oh, All they were everything from uh, uh, like box squats. So you have this box, and you had a kettlebell, and you had to go down and do a box squat. You had to do uh, <clears throat> it was like a ski. What is that? Is that just squatting on a box? Yeah, your bottom has to sit, touch the box, and then you come straight back up, oh, holding a kettlebell, yeah. you know, in a, in a position. 
And then we did uh, where you had big long ropes and you lean back and the ropes are attached above you. You lean back and then you had to jump up like a ski-like motion. So if you're getting ready to go skiing, it had been a great exercise to do, getting ready here at D1 Abilene. You had to push uh, a sled or pull a sled. You got to pick which one you wanted to do, uh, 100 yards. Um, and there were just uh, sit-ups with a, a med ball throw against a wall. So it was a lot of functional core stability. We do a lot of that type of exercise where we really use our body weight to try and move things and try and do it in functional patterns. And so it was, it was just, he, he, he always has a different workout every day. I never know what I'm going to show up and do anymore. So I, I just love, I love the muscle confusion part of it. And that's why Spartan races and obstacle course training races, I think really have found their niche in, in that you really don't know exactly what you're going to do when you start the race. Oftentimes you don't know the exact distance you're going to be running. You don't know the exact activities you're going to be doing. They always add in some new things. There's always the unknown. So I like that part of it, the muscle fusion, not knowing what I'm doing. Just say, let's go out and get it, and let's get a great workout in today and do our very best that we can do. Yeah, that's a, that was the one thing that appealed to me um, about um, the, uh, the P90X was that I didn't have to think about it. Yeah, I just right. got up and put the DVD in, and, and they told me. The one thing that gets a little monotonous about the P90X is you do the same thing for three weeks, and yeah. you do something else <laughs> yeah. for three weeks, you know, right. whereas you're going to do something new every day, which every day. keeps it fresh. Uh-huh. But the idea that you don't have to, because I think that's the hardest thing. People are like, well, I need to work out, but what should I do? You yeah. know, and there's so many things out there you could do. But, man, for me, I would try to figure out my own stuff, and then I'd quit or I'd change something else. With that, I just put the disc in. I just do what they tell me to do. I just trust that they're going to do it. And same thing, I think, with D1. You, you show up. You trust the coach test knows what he's doing. You trust that it's going to make you bigger, faster, stronger, healthier. And you just show up and do the workout, and you go get on with your life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do uh, the, P, the uh, D1, P90X. That's how D1 Abilene started, by the way. That's where I originally got the concept of wanting to work out with a peer group and uh, wanted to do uh, body functional training and uh, that type of workout. So that's how uh, D1 Abilene got originally started. But uh, I do it, and uh, our producers, uh, Brandon Hawk and his intern, Vincent, do, do it. So, man, we all, everybody here inside of uh, D1 Abilene, we're not only trying to uh, tell you it's a great thing for you and it helps you have a better quality of life, but uh, we do it ourselves, and we're big believers in it. So. Hey, a couple of big NFL sports medicine uh, articles in the news, or, or if you saw the game last night, Ferris, uh, we saw the Rams playing the Seattle Seahawks. The Rams are in a little bit of upheaval right now. Uh, their coach, Jeff Fisher, just got let go. They changed quarterbacks over to Case Keenum from to uh, Jared Goff, the uh, number one pick in the NFL draft last year. So he's been uh, the last four games, I think, now. They haven't uh, been able to get a win with Jared Goff, but he is – now undergoing, after last night's game, undergoing the NFL concussion protocol. And if you saw the big hit last night, he uh, dropped back for a pass, decided to do a scramble to the left side. They're about on the 15-yard line. He gets the ball down. Looks like he might go into the corner of the end zone when Richard Sherman comes over and just lays him out. I mean, it was one of those hits like it's an NFL hit. You know, at first, it looked like Goff might try and go out of bounds about the three-yard line, and then he got this crazy idea he might try and run Richard Sherman over or whoever the fender was, and Richard Sherman was having none of it. His quote, Richard Sherman said, I thought he was going to go out of bounds, but when he didn't, there's no free meal in the NFL. And he, Man, Goff obviously uh, took a big hit. He did not get in the end zone. He actually didn't even go another half yard when he hit Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman just ran him over. But those are the kind of hits you see by uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. You're like, man, get out of bounds. It's, we don't want to see another backup, though he really was the backup to Case Keenum. So the, Case Keenum coming in that game did not hurt the Rams at all. And then uh, Todd Gurley, after the uh, game, the, the uh, Rams running back, starting running back, said, uh, hey, leave the running to me. <laughs> and so he told God, <laughs> yeah, no more of that. But big hit in the NFL. You hate to see those starting quarterbacks go down like that, but he'll be in the NFL protocol making sure that he's asymptomatic before he goes back out and plays. 
Yeah, no, it was a great hit. It, you, the funny thing is, you know, you, you hear these these people when they go from the the uh, college ranks, which are great athletes and great, great, great sport. When they go to the NFL, they say the speed of the game is just ridiculously uh, a huge jump, even from the SEC into the NFL. But the speed of the game, and I don't think golf. I mean, he looked up, and nobody on that side of the field was anywhere near him. I don't think he thought Sherman was going to. I mean, Sherman came from the entire other side of the field yeah, did. and ran him down. And I think he was just thinking, college. He probably strolls in the end zone in college, you know. But in pros, man, you gotta you gotta keep your head on the swivel because. They're all just that much better. It's like, it's like taking the best college player from every team and sticking them on one team, and that's kind of what the NFL is. And He was shocked. You could see his, his body language as he caught him out of the corner of his eye go, oh, boy, and he kind of tried to flinch up, but it was just too late. Man, he was standing straight up, but yeah. Sherman just put the shoulder right into him and laid him out, waylaid him. I tell this story quite often. I've probably told you before, Ferris, but if our listening audience hasn't heard it, and you're listening to Docs and Jocks, our sports medicine radio show, but I work out uh, here at D1 Abilene, and in the off-seasons, we have a lot of uh, NFL guys that come back and train with us. Coach Hess trained all the ACU, Abilene Christian University, football players that went on to the NFL, so a lot of them come back and train with him. Clyde Gates is one of them. Clyde runs a 4-2. He's a wide receiver, was for the uh, New York Jets, and uh, Frank Beltray was a linebacker for the uh, Chargers and the uh, Oakland Raiders. He's one of our favorite people here on Docs and Jocks, and I uh, one time I asked Frank Belcher. I said, Frank, if I if I go out and get a full if I go out and get a full set of gear, football gear, would I be able to uh, allow you to tackle me? Would you tackle me? And uh, he he said, uh, Doctor Dan, I like you too much for that. No, I'm not going to do that to you. And then I went and talked to Clyde Gates, who's a wide receiver in the NFL. I said, Clyde, what was it like getting hit? But if you'd let a uh, NFL linebacker hit you, you know, at full speed, what's it feel like? He goes, The last time I had I did that. I didn't wake up for two days. I don't remember two days of my life. So he said, no, do not let Frank Beltray tackle you under any circumstance, no matter how many pads you have on. So, yeah, no, <laughs> it's definitely uh, different getting tackled by an NFL linebacker, and that's uh, exactly – and Richard Sherman's not a linebacker, but he can definitely lay a blow. Man, that was a big hit. Yeah, and he had all that momentum running over. And, I, you know, I, I just saw a little bit of that game. It was interesting because, you know, I was watching it on Twitter, which now you can watch NFL, you know, Thursday night off of Twitter. I was like, man, am I old or what? I was so <laughs> amazed by that. And I was telling people, and they're like, yeah, no kidding, dude. Everybody streams stuff. I'm like, wow, I'm like an old dude. I was <laughs> shocked by that. But yeah. I was a little bit on my phone, and and um, I, I think Goff's going to be a good quarterback. But man, that Rams team, dude. It's like we always talk about. You got to have a good offensive line. Yeah, I know. If not, you got these young guys. I mean, Case when he was before him. He had a couple of good games, but, dude, you're running for your life half the time. Nobody's oh, good know. when you're running for your life. Exactly. Hey, also the thing was about the golf run. You know, he makes this run. He tries to go into the end zone, tries to take the big hit, gain the extra yard to get in the end zone instead of stepping out of bounds. And the whole thing got called back for a holding penalty. So he had to – don't yeah. you hate that when you make a run like that, take a big hit, and here it goes back all the way for the holding penalty. But that was one of the problems with the Rams. Their offensive line was either holding them or letting them uh, – they were like a sieve letting them through. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it was interesting on that one, too, because he looked dinged up, and he looked a little out of sorts in the huddle because they kept showing him, and the announcers are just talking about, oh, what a hit, and this and that. And then the protocol worked because the guy the guy buzzed down from up top and said, hey, you got to take a look at this guy. And you could see Goff didn't yeah. want to come out of the game, which is good. But kind of like everybody did their job, and it's yeah. interesting because the NFL got a lot of bad press when they didn't do that with Cam Newton that first exactly. game of the year. Yeah, You know, with the Broncos, it's like, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're just – you know, different spotter, or if they're like, well, we'll pull Jared Goff out of the game, but we can't pull Cam Newton out of the game. You know, I, I'm not sure, but it, it worked. It worked correctly last night. It worked the way it's supposed to. There was definitely a question. Goff took that big hit, and then he needed to get checked out. So yeah, you're exactly right. There was another big hit in the game. The Seahawks punter. 
takes a punt and he sees a wide opening and it's a wide gap up the middle. I mean, like the the seas parted. He was uh, Charlton Heston and Moses, and he's going to walk across to dry mm-hmm. land. And he opens. He starts running. He has the first down, but then for some strange reason, he pulls an Elmer Fudd and starts like flipping the ball up and around. He fumbles it himself. Nobody hits him. He's just running with the ball. Suddenly starts fumbling it, but it, he's hitting it up in the air as he's fumbling in it. And of course, here come the defenders, and they're coming, and they're coming fast. He just at the last moment kind of grabs the ball a little bit after he's had a ball flipping it up in the air. Oh, he's out, Ferris. He got hit by a Mack truck. They hit him, and he is down. He's out. He's not moving. It's one of those ones where he's laying on the ground. Arms are laying next to him in a kind of a, you know, spastic fetal position, and he just got waylaid. And it's one of those reasons you forget kickers uh, aren't necessarily the best athletes on the field. They do what they do, their profession. They kick very well, but not necessarily the best runners of a football or, or guys that have been running enough fake punts. But he got killed oh my god john ryan got nailed big hit so so would we have been like what if he had got that first down and just slid with nobody around him just like i'm done i got the first oh, that's what you want me to do. Why not? i give up five yards extra i could have got five or ten more yards but i'm just gonna slide would we have been like on him like oh come no, on dude no. get the extra yard you're an athlete or would, <laughs> would we have been like that's smart get the first down and get out of there yeah like, a, just a tap punter. out no one's gonna no one's got bad mouth a punter for sliding i think that was what he was trying to do when the fumble ruski started, when he started flipping the ball up in the air to himself. I think that's what he was getting ready to do. But by the time he recovered the ball and kind of was still semi-running with it, he just, it was too late. They had already got him there. So it was too late. Kind of like the, what is that song, what is that song I'm talking about? The old, uh, the old uh, oh, what was that, uh, Mississippi Square no, or no. something? Mississippi Squirrel Runs Up the Lady's Leg. It was too late. Ethel, no, it was The Streak. <laughs> the Streak. Remember the song, The Streak? <laughs> It was yeah, too late. Yeah, they call late. him the streak. Yeah. Yep. So, hey, speaking of Richard Sherman. Dude, that's old school, man. I did go old school on us there for a minute. I don't know when I wow, said it. Wow, that was a great song. It was too late. She had done Ben Moon. But speaking of Richard <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Richard Sherman, he after, as during the game, he was seen yelling at head coach Pete Carroll, the Seahawks head coach and offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel, after they uh, elected, get this, Ferris, they elected on a one-yard it was it was like third and one, and they elected to throw the ball into the end zone to try and score the touchdown. Does that remind you of anything? So they, yeah. <laughs> so so what? What Richard Sherman said? He goes uh, when they asked him about it after the game. They said, "Yeah, I was letting Carroll know. We've already seen how that goes. Talking about the Super Bowl last year <laughs> when there was one yard to go and they elected oh, not to run the ball in, and they threw it, and uh, the Patriots intercepted it and won the Super Bowl. So." Obviously, uh, they he was not happy about them electing to go for a pass instead of a run on on uh, you know first and goal on the one yard line. But it was interesting that Carroll did that again, isn't it? I mean, you think he would have learned? Well, here's the thing: Carroll doesn't think that was a bad call. We we saw him after the Super Bowl game, and he's never backtracked. He said, "Look, that was the right call. We just we just didn't execute, and they executed better than we did." Yeah. Like he's like that. That call was the absolute right call at the time. They just beat us because oh. we competed and they won. So he's never come out and said, yeah, we made a mistake not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. I mean, I think 90% of the world thinks he did, but yeah. he's been steadfast. that No, that was a good call. We just didn't execute it. And is that so, Richard Sherman's place during the game to be uh, berating his coach about a call? Is that something you do after the game in the locker room? I mean, does that – destroy player morale, your teammates, you know, getting questioned. I mean, do you want every player on the sideline questioning every call you make when they don't agree with it? I mean, is that really Richard Sherman's place on the sideline to be doing that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think with 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 we've seen it the, the new era of football with quarterback or excuse me wide receivers and D backs. They're like the new divas. You know, when we yeah. were growing up, it was the running backs and stuff. But they didn't do that type of thing because the coaches were still ruling the roost. But I think you just that's just what you get with a Richard Sherman and Pete Carroll will probably come out and say, you know, I like this competitiveness he and did. I, I welcome yeah. that and yada yada. Yeah. You know, but I honestly I don't know I. I think we make a big deal about that, but sometimes you ask like the guy like the Doug, Fre- Doug, you know, Freeze and those guys, the big linemen, and they they go, I didn't know he did that. Like most guys <laughs> yeah. have no idea it even happened, <laughs> right. and they're just like, whatever, that's him. But if he gets in my face, I'll pop him one. But whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the teams care that much about Odell Beckham and Richard Sherman and Des Bryant yelling at people on the side. I mean, Tom Tom Brady what lit up Edelman, and I, everybody's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see a player talking to another player if they don't think they're doing their job because then it's like, uh, you know, equal talking to an equal. But when you start talking to your coach during the game about his play calling and then uh, yelling at the offense coordinator about the play call, I, I see his point. Obviously, they lost the Super Bowl because, you know, they had one yard to go on the goal line and they chose to throw it and they intercept it. But I just don't know if that's the time and the place to do it. Probably uh, in the coach's office uh, after the game's over, in the locker room, after you've had a little time to cool down. But and he's a defensive player as well. But I don't know. I think the, uh, Richard Sherman obviously is very competitive. And that's what Rich, uh, that's what Carol, Pete Carroll said after the game. I like his competitiveness. He just needs to pull it together. So, hey, I do want to say thank you to all our sponsors, including West Texas Neurosurgeons, Dr. Trammell, Dr. Brown, Dr. Edelman. Couldn't do our show here, Docs and Jocks, Sports Medicine Radio Show, without him. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, you go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Find out more about our show. Find out myself, uh, Dr. Dan, with uh, Texas Sport and Spine, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. do want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors. This segment is brought to you by Abilene Sports Medicine and Orthopedics. Dr. Funk, Dr. Deprang, and Dr. Maroney couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. If you ever want to find out how to be a sponsor, you can contact us by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can also download our podcast at docsandjocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and listen to our show anytime, anywhere. Hey, Ferris, uh, very honored to have on a good friend of Docs and Jocks. Been on the show several times. Uh, physical therapist extraordinaire, Jeremy Carver. Jeremy is the head physical therapist at D1 Abilene Physical Therapy. And we're going to be talking to him about some of the things that are going on with uh, them treating and recovering some uh, athletes, uh, trying to get them back out for the state championship football game this week. So, Jeremy, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Yeah, and you work a lot with athletes, and uh, you really that's kind of where your passion is. And you've done it not only D1 Abilene here, but I believe also D1, uh, was it, I always forget, Orlando or Tampa? Tampa, Tampa yeah. yeah. And in Little Rock before that, but yeah. Yeah, so you've been all over working with athletes at all yeah. caliber. So uh, this last week, you know, we got the state championship football. Oh, I also got to mention uh, Brandon Hawk, our producer. He's always online with us, but he's going to be part of this interview as well. He's a former athletic trainer with the uh, Dallas Cowboys, also an athletic trainer with uh, Texas Tech. And Jeremy Carver also has a background not only as a physical therapist, but as an athletic trainer as well. And uh, you guys recently have been working with some of the athletes. Uh, Wiley High School uh, here in t- the state of Texas is going to be playing for the 4A large school state championship today. And you've been working with them this last week trying to help them recover. So let's talk Talk about taking athletes who are banged up, who are hurting. You know, that football is obviously a violent game. You're sore all over when you finish playing, and you're trying to get an athlete ready to go back out that next week. So tell us some of the things you do with these athletes to try and get them ready for that next week's game, especially a big game like the state championship here in the state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it plays into, you know, what position they play and, and, and 
as you well. saw linemen, you saw yeah, quarterbacks, I mean, you saw running backs, all wide receivers. Field, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's amazing on just the certain patterns that they move throughout their day. You know, there's there's obviously right people that stay on the right side of the field versus the left side of the field plays a huge role in how their the muscle recruitment patterns that they actually have throughout yeah. their body. And so a big part of it is just going through the assessment process with them and actually being able to look at their body and see where they might be a little bit more. Uh, movement deficient or need a little bit of fix here or whatever and so basically it's, it's trying to determine what they need and what they would help them prepare for you know their next game or their next competition or whatever and help them basically function at their optimum level because if you're a quarterback or an overhead throwing athlete and you have a uh, tight internal rotation of your shoulder in other words you can't move your shoulder very well it's going to impede your play and oh, that's yeah, one of the definitely. things that oftentimes happens in, yeah. in young athletes who overhead throw a yeah, athletes. specifically, especially posterior capsule. Yeah, yeah. internal rotation is a huge limiting factor, and the, you know the lats will get tight, and on that. I mean that throws off everything. It makes that shoulder push more forward or more in that that forward place position, which it can impinge on that shoulder and everything too. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll just this is Ferris. So he'll okay. be when yeah. I point to him, it means he's talking. <laughs> okay. you, you don't have to stop sorry. talking, Jeremy. Okay, so sorry. yeah, I'm sorry. I should have told you that before air. So Ferris, you have a question for Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy, how different is it? I mean, you work with athletes like Dr. Dan's talking about. you got the high school athletes who have to get up and go through their normal classes and their days and things. Right. How difficult is it rehabbing like a high school or a college athlete compared to like a pro athlete? That's his job to get ready for the next uh, game. Yeah, I mean, it's a big difference. Obviously, the, the pro athletes are – they get paid almost to rehab. I mean, it's a big difference in, you know, their their serious level or how much they actually put into what they do. Um, but, you know, at the high school level, it's still it's a huge, huge component, especially football in Texas is, is, a, is a major deal. And so, you know, our, our athletes, especially, you know, the ones we see here are, are highly motivated and they want to get back to, to play. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, is, it is a difference from maybe a motor, motor recruitment patterns or their ability or different movements that they make. But at the same time, it's uh, uh, it's their higher caliber. So yeah. Well, you've been you've been in Florida. Football is big in Florida. I think it's yes. in Arkansas too. Is, is everybody brags about Texas football? Is it still bigger in Texas than those states? Uh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, he lives in Texas now. I, I'm definitely a Texas fan. So I mean, I, I love Texas. So. Absolutely. Smart move. Smart hey, move. I think a great question for Brandon Hawk uh, is uh, Brandon uh, was a Dallas Cowboys athletic trainer, and so. Tell us what it's like working with those professional athletes. They work on the same thing. You, you do a functional assessment on them. You try and restore the normal range of motion before they go out and play the next week. Tell us what are some of the things you use to try and get those players back on the field, guys like Jason Witt and Tony Romo, the ones you worked with. Yeah, I mean, uh, we really try to keep it simple. Uh, obviously, you know, being at the professional level, you have just millions of modalities, different types of things you can use. Uh, typically, you know, we uh, really focused on a lot of just go back to the basics, uh, you have your hot and cold therapy. A lot of guys are using cold tubs, uh, things like that, ice bags and stuff for their knees and stuff. Some of these guys like Jason Witten and when I was there, like Mark Colombo and some of these older guys, uh, they had pretty bad knees, if you can imagine, banging around for 13 years, uh, what that does on your knees. And so we really tried to keep it simple. Uh, we did use things as far as like lasers and some of these new technologies that are around uh, to try to get these guys ready uh, for the game on Sunday. But uh, we really tried to stay with the basics. Uh, we use things as like stimulation, really just a little tricky machine that just stimulates muscle, tries to uh, get the pain out of there, just kind of helps block pain signals from your brain. And so right. just little things like that uh, really try to keep it simple. And, uh, you know, like uh, Coach Ollie said earlier in the segment today about uh, you really just listen to their body. Their body says, yeah. hey, this hurts. This is pain. Okay, so let's try to figure out a way to get this signal to be stopped. Right. 
So really, as an athletic trainer, as a therapist like Jeremy, I mean, that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to figure out where they're hurting and what can we do to offer to uh, just eliminate that pain. Right, and, and uh, Jeremy, we mentioned uh, some of the modalities you use. I, I, I remember seeing an article, it was uh, written in one of my sports medicine journals, talking about an overhead throwing athlete and injuries and how do you prevent injuries. It's found that an overhead throwing athlete who throws and then has restricted range of motion, if you can restore them back to their normal range of motion, which means you have to know what that is before they start right, the yeah. inch, which right. is hard for you if you right. see an athlete and you haven't known them before right. they exactly. come into you. But if you know what their normal range of motion was and they go out and pitch or they throw, a quarterback throws, if you can restore them back to that original range of motion before they go back out and throw hard again, they have less injuries. It, it seems like common sense, but it's one of those things that we don't often look at. Well, and, and, and that's the thing is, is sometimes people don't realize that they do have this. And the big thing is the GERD, the, the, the internal rotation deficit type stuff where they, yeah. they can't turn their hand all the way in because of all this external rotation. You have a lot of motion in the arms in one way, but you don't ever do the other way. Yeah. And so and that, and that predisposes them to getting things that actually tear their labrum, which lead up to surgeries later on. Right. Parrish, you have a question? Yeah, I was just wondering, you know, we talked about the difference in the athletes, you know, from the high school to the uh, to the pro athlete. But what about in the, the age differences? I mean, do you, do you guys notice, obviously, the older you get, the, the harder it is to, to rehab there. Do you approach the rehab differently, or do you just know with an athlete who's a little more seasoned, shall we say, it's going to be a little bit longer protocol? Um, you know, not not necessarily. Actually, I mean, a lot of the ones with the on the professional level, due to the fact that they do, you know, they live off of this stuff. I mean, that that's their everything. They've been to rehab several times, so they already know a lot of exercise they need to be doing. They're very compliant with all of their stuff, and so basically, their motor abilities. So if like I try to retrain a certain thing, now I'm not talking like the Tim Tebow approach where I'm actually, you know, changing how he throws and stuff like that. That takes a lot of time, but there's there's different little tweaks that you can do with with prof- professional guys that and they tend to actually jump onto it pretty quick. Um and so, you know, if you basically you tell them to do something, they they'll probably do it too much though. It may be, <laughs> you know, 10 times a day that on that one day and then it's like, "Okay, wait, you did way too much there. Yeah. You just need to back off some." But. Right. Yeah, fierce. So are you, are you are you saying the younger athletes, like the high schoolers, sometimes don't do what you tell them to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> that's, right? That's yeah, it's definitely Dr. true. Dan, you're, you're, you work with high school. They never like that, right? No, they never yeah. know more than no, you when, do when, Jeremy, when Jeremy said that earlier, I was just thinking about four or five of our common patients we have right now. How they won't do what we ask them to do. No, I just want to exercise Why once I a day. To you? Please, you ma'am. just have a degree in this. I've been doing it for a decade. Why can't I listen yeah. to you? I'm, I'm 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I will say about that topic uh, – these uh, these Wiley kids that came in this week, uh, you you saw that these guys were here. They wanted to get yeah, motivated. Yeah, uh, yeah, they yeah. they wanted us to try anything and everything on them. I mean, I, it's amazing when kids that young actually, you know, their coach didn't make them come up here. Oh, yeah, we offered a recovery plan for them, and they jumped on board and. Uh, they were all about it, and you know, Jeremy and I and Dr. Melton were able to, you know, help them, you know, work some kinks out in their uh, their arms, their legs, their low backs. You know, these guys have played, I don't know how many games now, but you know, this is they've played the most now since they're going to play in the state game. Oh, than I know. Yeah, their yeah. high school team. I mean, so, uh, recovery uh, with their bodies is so important. And here at uh, D1 Abilene, uh, I'll let Jeremy talk about this a little bit here, but we would love to uh, have anybody here that uh, if their child is you know, dealing with some recovery, the soccer season, volleyball, whatever it may be, football, uh, 
give us a call at D1 Abilene, and uh, we'd love to have a recovery session, a uh, personal training type recovery session with, with your athletes. So we would love to do that with you guys. The nice thing here at D1 Abilene that we have to be, the ability to offer is uh, we try and think of a one-stop shop. And I always found early in my sports medicine career, I think one of the things as you go through your career, you realize you don't have to fix it for everything. And it, you kind of learn all the things you don't know, if that makes sense. The, the longer I do it, the more I realize what I don't know. Does that make sense, Ferris? Did I say that okay? Does that kind of semi-make sense? So anyway, what you're trying to do is figure out, well, if I have one tool, there's a physical therapist that may have another tool that can help athletes, and I have an athletic trainer that has another tool, and we have a chiropractor that can use his tools as well. So what we do is we try and get everybody working on the same page for the common goal of getting an athlete and a, and a patient, for that matter, who has an injury, get them back out in whatever the field of uh, life and their endeavor that they want to get back out and do. So that's what we do here at D1 Abilene. I want to say thank you to Jeremy Carver, who I think has three patients right now as we're talking. <laughs> he came on the show uh, to help us out. So, Jeremy, I want to say thank Thank you for uh, helping our athletes. Hopefully going to have a big game with the uh, state championship game coming uh, up with Wiley. Yeah. And you, had a, you have a piece of that. So right. kind of okay. cool that you played a part in it. Yes, and uh, as well as uh, Brandon Hawk, our athletic trainer, who also, by the way, is the uh, general manager uh, for D1 Abilene, is also the producer for Docs and Jocks. Hawk, uh, I think as an athletic trainer, you have to learn to adapt, right? Same with you, Jeremy. You have to yes, learn to definitely. adapt to multiple yeah. roles. So you guys yeah. are used to doing that, working with the team model anyway with uh, sports and athletic training. So appreciate all you guys do here. And appreciate you guys doing that recovery program. Hawk, tell the listening audience right, to get up. Yeah. They want to try and if they have somebody who's needing to recover from an injury and they want to do part of that program, how do they do that? Yeah, you go ahead and uh, give us a call, uh, D1 Abilene. We would, uh, we would love to uh, sit down with you and kind of you tell Jeremy and I what your goals are. And uh, you can give us a call at uh, 267-3631. Again, that's 267-3631. And if you're in a listening audience and outside of our area, that's a 325 uh, area code. So, hey, thanks, guys, for being on yes, Docs and Jocks. All Thank right. Thank you so a lot. Hey, Ferris, I think it's uh, important. Uh, one of the things I love doing with, uh, you know, talking on Docs and Jocks is we get to talk to people from all fields of endeavors in the sports medicine world, and that might, you know, include physical therapists, athletic trainers, uh, chiropractors, sports medicine physicians like myself, uh, even the sports medicine physicians getting ready to come up here with us here in a couple segments with uh, Penn State team physician Pete Seidenberg. But I like trying to bring it all together where it's a team approach. That's how I was trained. It's how I played sports. You always did it as a team. So I love that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's really cool to, to hear those guys and how they work with different guys and, um, you know, that the, the protocols are kind of the same, but just different ages and uh, how they get guys back ready to ready to roll because, you know, you, that, that's the thing with football especially, man. You're probably in pain all the time, so these guys are probably your best friends. Well, you know, it was really neat, too. It was, it was cool. Brandon Hawks worked with the Dallas Cowboys. He's worked with uh, been a Division One athletic trainer with uh, Texas Tech, working with Division One college athletes. Here you have his uh, knowledge and his expertise that he learned with the Cowboys and with the Red Raiders. He's working with these young high school athletes exactly the same way he would have treated Jason Witten, Tony Romo, Mark Colombo, all the great Dallas Cowboys, Des Bryant that he worked with. He's working with them the exact same way and using the exact same modalities, trying to get them back on the field. And you got uh, Jeremy Carver, who works, you know, has worked with all over with athletes in Florida and Arkansas. He's doing the same thing with these Wiley athletes. And then uh, Dr. Tim Melton, who's a chiropractor, who was actually a Wiley quarterback back in the day, he's working with these athletes. And our common goal is to try and keep them on the field healthy, get them back on the field feeling well so they can do their best on their field. But that's really what life's about, really. You're trying to do your best at whatever it is. And that's why I think D1 Abilene, when we have these programs where you do boot camps and strength coaching and, and strength conditioning coaches at every visit, I think it tries to keep your quality of life you know, as best it can possibly be. So, one, you don't get injured as often if you're stronger and you're more flexible and you're 
you're not hurting when you're doing it, and it also just it, it, it's enjoyable too. So that's that's the key for these guys, and we're all motivated when we see athletes do well after working with them. So really cool team approach, and I, I can't think of a better way to do it than the guys do it here at D1 Abilene. Yeah, and it's neat that it's, it's filtering down to the high school. I mean, I, I don't know about you in your high school when you were growing up, Dr. Dan. You <laughs> yeah. played football. I didn't. Yeah. But, you know, there was like, there was, I think we had like one trainer, and he taught some classes, and he handled every team. And, yeah. You know, you didn't get a lot of individualized. No. It was like, if you didn't feel good, you just kind of went home and tried to figure it out. And maybe your dad, like, bought a book and read about how to <laughs> yeah. rehab or make you feel yeah. better. But, you know, you couldn't go online. You were just kind of on your own, man. Yeah. No, we had no athletic trainer in my high school. Absolutely none. We were a large school in, right? in Illinois. None. Our health coach, our health teacher was our, quote, uh, trainer, our athletic trainer, or our sports <laughs> medicine. We had no – this is true, Fair. You know, Texas is kind of unique, and Arizona is kind of in the forefront, too. They, most all teams have athletic trainers. When I went back to St. Louis University and became a medical director on the Illinois side of St. Louis for sports medicine – we went out and we got high schools and colleges to join our program at St. Louis University Sports Medicine Program. And uh, the reason we were able to bring in so many high schools, we had almost 20 high schools, we had four colleges, was because the high schools in Illinois still, this is just back in 2005, did not have athletic trainers. And we said we would provide you an athletic trainer. They'll help take care of your kids. We'll be your team physicians. And that's what we did. So we were the first ones bringing athletic trainers to a lot of high school programs. And this is just 10 years ago. So times have changed dramatically where you see athletic trainers like Brandon Hawk and like Jeremy Carver that we just interviewed on the field. So, yeah, no, the pendulum has swung a long ways. I didn't have an athletic trainer on the field my entire uh, high school career. So now it's a much, much better, and I like the way we do, do it now, much better than the way we used to do it. So, hey, you've been listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, great to have you with us today. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, bringing you your sports medicine radio show from D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Do want to say thank you to our sponsors, including Texas Sport and Spine, as well as Texas Sports Hall of Fame. If you haven't been to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, it's out of Waco, Texas. Man, it's a blast to go through that place, learn all about the old Southwest Conference and all the Big 12 now. But, man, it's a blast to go through that. You, you learn things. Every time I go through there, I learn something different about uh, Texas uh, sports and all the great uh, athletes we had come through the state of Texas. So go down and visit the uh, Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Hey, I do want to say uh, also thank you to all the great guests we've had so far today. We're getting ready uh, on our next interview coming up after this segment. We're going to have on Pete Seidenberg. Dr. Pete Seidenberg is a longtime friend of myself. We were uh, uh, co-sports medicine directors at uh, St. Louis University Sports Medicine Program. He has now gone on to bigger and better things at Penn State University where he is their team physician. So we we'll won't miss that interview coming up with Dr. Pete Seidenberg. Joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. And uh, Ferris, we haven't talked about it yet uh, this week, but you played, or we very, mentioned it briefly, but you played a uh, University of Arizona. I think they're ranked 19th in the nation right now in men's basketball, and you played them to a 10-point game, Grand Canyon University did. Grand Canyon University is... Uh, Waiting one more year uh, in their transition to full Division One status where they will be able to be eligible for the playoffs. I call it transition, not probation. So whoever that Correct. was last week who corrected me. So <laughs> we have one more year in transition, and then they'll be playing. So great game this week. But uh, you obviously uh, did the broadcast of that game. And tell us about what it was like getting the broadcast out of uh, University of Arizona's basketball court. Well, it was nice being down at McHale. McHale. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun uh, broadcasting. You know, U of A, like uh, we've talked about GCU's injuries, we got four scholarship athletes injured. We had a we had a, 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 a 
knee just blow out everything on the knee blew out on a non-contact drill we had uh, an achilles rupture with a non-contact drill um, our best players had his fifth now knee surgery on his on his uh, left knee um, but u of a's got that too they've got like five scholarship players out uh four from injury one kid got his uh his his third season ending injury in 30 oh, months and man. he just re- he just he just retired. He tore the ACL for the third time on the same day. He's like, yeah, I'm done. Retired for basketball, so that's unfortunate. Uh, a couple ankle injuries, a couple other knee injuries, uh, left ACL injury. So it, it seems like it's – and I we always talk. I don't know if it's more injuries or not. Maybe it's because we talk about them all the time. I'm, I'm more attuned to injuries. But a lot of schools are dealing with that. I mean, U of A, number 19 in the country, they had to have open tryouts. Uh, and they, they added three kids to the oh, roster man. just from their – Oh their goodness. general population. Oh wow! They don't, you don't think about it. They got seven, eight kids to play, but how do you practice with eight right. kids? Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so so you have to go add guys. They had an open tryout, which is kind of cool in one sense, not for the team, but for the kids that made it. They're just a regular student at U of A, and now they get to play on the U of A basketball. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, wouldn't that be great? It's kind of cool for them. But it was yeah. a good game. Well, we lost by ten, uh, but a good showing. You know, I think our, you know, it, when when our five man is six foot seven. And their wingmen are six six, six seven, and six eight. Wow. It's tough to it's tough. You know they have yeah. two seven footers, so it's tough to beat teams like that. But we hung in there. It was a good game. You know, it reminds me. You're talking about the U of A player and poor guy, man. Three ACL reconstructions. I can't even imagine. Thomas Davis. Yeah. We talked to James Andrews, who did his ACL reconstruction. Is he plays for uh, Carolina Panthers, right? He's the uh, linebacker for him. He remember he tore his ACL twice, went through two reconstructions, then came back and played in the NFL again. So, but I can't imagine a third time, and th- and this this would be where we talk about the mental side of sports. I guarantee that that guy has some serious uh, dysthymia. We call it not depression, but where you're really down about it. And uh, we have a mental strength coach here at D1 Abilene. Her name is Tracy Munton. If it sounds familiar, she's my beautiful, lovely bride of 27 years now. I think. Gosh, I got to think about it. I probably said that wrong on air. But Tracy Munton, uh, she does mental strength coaching, and so her and Christina Seal, they. Um, so they really help athletes who've had injuries try and overcome those hurdles because it's a very a very big part of that physical injury is a mental side of it that says, man, I'm depressed about it. I'm down about it. I can't play the sport I love to be or love to do. My identity is wrapped up in that injury. How do I get overcome it to get back? Is it safe to come back once my doctor says it's okay? My knee still feels different, you know? So they really try and help the mental side of those sports injuries. I can't imagine a guy that's had three ACL ruptures. That means you tore your own native ACL, and now you've had two reconstructed ACLs torn. How difficult that must be, not only from a physical standpoint, from a, from a mental standpoint as well. So, Yeah, his third, his third in 30 months, you know, yeah. and um, oh, at some point, you know, you want to keep playing, but you just kind of go, okay, look, this is – this isn't going to work out. I need to retire. I need to move on with the rest of my, my basketball yeah. of my life, you know. And I talked to our guy, Josh Braun. It's his fifth surgery on the same knee. Everything from, you know, an ACL, you know, reconstruction to meniscus and then a, another scope and that type of thing. This last one was a, a scope of the meniscus. I think they shaved it a bit. And he should be back in about four to six weeks. Um, but I asked him, I said, do, do you like – you know, do you sit there and go, okay, this is it. If I have one more, do you put a timeline? He goes, not yet, but he goes, I, I really hope this is my last one. He says, I honestly don't know. And it was more the mental than oh, the physical. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, I don't know if I can do this again, you know? Well, we need to get him hooked up with uh, the middle strength coaches here at D1 Abilene and 
you know, you can do that as our listening audience. If you just want to take a free evaluation to find out how you rank uh, in the different categories that they look at as far as mental strength, whether it's how do you deal with pressure uh, under competi- you know, during competition, how do you goal set, how do you take uh, constructive criticism, all those types of things. If you want to do that, you just go to uh, the Edge Mental Strength icon, which is on docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and click on the Mental Strength uh, Evaluation. You can take it free. So you fill it out, you send it in, you get a free uh, mental strength evaluation from our coaches, and, man, they do a great job. They work with tons of teams, whether high school, college, professional athletes. They've done it all. So just do that by going to the Edge Mental Strength icon on docsandjocks.com. But, yeah, I, I just can't imagine five knee surgeries, and I'm still trying to play competitive athletics, three ACL reconstructions in the same athlete. Man, at some point in time, you got to feel sorry for these guys that keep having these injuries. Speak it, yeah, go ahead, Ferris. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I interviewed at the halftime of that, I interviewed our, our GCU golf coach, uh, Mark Mueller, and we talked about that mental aspect of the game. Oh, Not even yeah, just coming back golf. from injuries like yeah. you were talking about, but the mental aspect of, you know, playing a D1, oh, D2, yeah. D3 uh, sport um, and trying to have a life, be a student, enjoy the, the life of being a student, you know, and be focused. And then they, you know, in the competition, uh, there's a lot going on with these guys. And so, you know, we've talked about it um, and, and not every school can add this because it takes money and finances. But, you know, I just think the schools that have an, an approach and something structured for all the athletes and then athletes that, you know, need extra can go in and see these mental coaches. I think that gives that, that team an edge, you know, yeah. uh, just prepares the athlete better. And I, I think all schools you know, should strive to add that to the to the what they offer to their student-athletes. <laughs> it makes me laugh because I was a pre-med student trying to play baseball. If anybody knows about uh, college baseball, the rigors of it, how much, you know, you don't have just a spring season where you play, you know, 50 games. You've also got a fall season where, you know, you're practicing and playing. Really, it's all year long, I mean, in co- at the college yeah. level. And then pre-med isn't a uh, cakewalk in, as a student-athlete in any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, it was, uh, I would, there was times, I guarantee you, I needed a mental strength coach. That would have been very uh, handy to have back in my college playing days absolutely hey speaking of guy that gets injured a lot and uh, overcomes injuries and uh, still playing uh, golden state warriors beat the new york knicks 103 to 90 last night the knicks were without two players can you guess who one of the players is ferris we've talked about him here on the show numerous times derrick rose is out for the new york knicks and so is uh, carmelo anthony so derrick rose missed uh, the last two games with back spasms this time remember derrick rose is the player who went through acl reconstructions has multiple different injuries has kept him out and uh, Carmelo Anthony now has been shooting less than 32% in over uh, half his games. He's been really, really off this year for some reason. He is now out with a sore right shoulder, and that may explain some of his uh, shooting inaccuracy. It's hard to shoot if you have a, have a right shoulder pain every time you shoot the ball. Yeah. So, But without those two guys. But poor Derrick Rose, man, is one of those guys. He seems like he has an injury every time we turn around. And for the Knicks to be any good at all, they're, they're counting on Derrick Rose to, to compliment Carmelo Anthony and get him some more shots. Though if you're shooting less than 32%, I don't know if you want him shooting more shots at this point in time. So been a rough go for the New York Knicks. They're sitting uh, right now. I think they're – Currently, like fourth, I believe, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're fourteen and twelve, sitting in fourth in the Eastern Conference. So they they're sitting right there in a good place to make the playoffs. So, but they got to have all those guys healthy. Yeah, it, the Knicks are interesting because the Knicks are um, they're a team that that they should have no reason not to be good. I mean, yeah. they're in New York. They got all the money. They got all the glitz. You should be able to recruit guys there. But for whatever reason, they just haven't been good for a long, long time. Ever since Pat Riley left there, they just haven't been good. But, yeah. you know, with Carmelo, you wonder about that, the sore shoulder, but also just, I mean, he's been in the league since 2003. 
Yeah. I mean, we, we see NBA athletes, especially sometimes they just drop off the map. I mean, there's not like a sometimes with NBA because it's such an athletic sport. You don't see them kind of gradually decrease in what they can do. They just kind of drop off the map and you're like going, wow, that guy stinks. What happened? <laughs> well, he's been in the league 13 years. His yeah. body has been beaten up. He can't do what he used to do anymore. Right. And there's younger guys that are 25 years old. You know, going after him, right. that type of stuff, you know. Speaking of which, both stink and falling off the map and getting old and not playing anymore, both our Mavericks and our Suns. You're a Phoenix Suns fan. I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan. <laughs> They're battling it out for last place in the West right now. The uh, the Suns are ahead of my Mavericks by uh, – they're 8-18, eight and 18, the Suns are, and my Mavericks are 6-19. and 19. Whoa. <laughs> That's a slow start. Yeah. Yeah. Dirk Nowitzki's not how, getting any how's younger. Mark Cuban, how's Mark Cuban handling that? Oh, I don't think well. I don't know for sure. I don't have any insight to Mike Mark Cuban, but he does not take man. losing well. And, man, they just have not been able to get the free agents. They've gotten some uh, bad luck with different players they've gotten who've gotten injured, and Dirk's getting older. They've tried to put pieces around him to keep it going, but not well. Not well. Not going good for the Mavericks. That's one of the always the tough things you have when you're when you're um, a GM or, or an owner. You don't want to trade a Dirk Nowitzki. The Royals did this with Alex Gordon. They re-signed him, but you're you're almost paying the guy and keeping the guy on, knowing that you could probably trade him and get some younger guys and yeah. rebuild. But you don't want Dirk Nowitzki to retire, not a Maverick. I know, you know, I know. So you're in that kind of tough yes. situation where he can still play. He's still very good, so he still has a little bit of a value if you want to trade him for young guys. But at the same time, could you imagine if they traded him to the Knicks? Oh yeah, he'd be a good fit. I there, mean, do actually. you want? be great for them but do you want Dirk Nowitzki to retire as a New York Nick you know uh, no, no it, you, you just, it'd be weird seeing Derek Rose Carmelo Anthony and Dirk Nowitzki all playing on the same field that that's a bunch of guys who are prone to injury a bunch of old guys that are just waiting to get yeah. into the playoffs but if they hit the right time and all three of those guys are hot you're right that could be a very good team but yeah no I can't see Dirk Nowitzki leaving and going to another team you can't I, trade him right yeah I don't think you can trade him no. I, who knows you know Emmett Smith did it with the going from the Cowboys to the Cardinals and you know, the Cowboys fans don't hold it against him now, and he got another year out of it and set a record for the NFL rushing record. So I guess maybe you could see it happening. I don't know. I think it's sad if it did happen. But Golden State came back, and uh, or they, they just they, they stumped the New York Knicks. But, man, I don't think Golden State has a lot of problems. They had in that game, Ferris, listen to this. They did, of their first 32 baskets, they had an assist on every basket that the Golden State Warriors did. They're wow. not only a great shooting team, they're a great passing team. 32 straight. The first 32 made baskets all had assists with them. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, they're a great team. I wonder what they'll do in the playoffs. I think they'll roll through the West. You always wonder how they'll do once they play like a, a tougher defensive team. You know, there's not a lot of defense in the NBA in the regular season. But, right. I mean, on the looks of it, man, they, they should they should run away with the championship with that team they got adding, adding uh, you know, Durant to that team is just unreal. Man, they were going for a record, an all-time record for uh, – it's all-time record for the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, the the, the uh, Golden State Warriors when they were trying to go for the all-time assist record. Who was the dude who just took it in and slammed it home? No, why did he do that? Why didn't he pass it off? <laughs> <laughs> go for the record, man. Yeah, go for the record. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Hey, uh, now here in our last uh, couple minutes, Ferris, I thought we could uh, talk about uh, one of our favorite players of all time in baseball. Rod Carew is uh, undergoing a heart and kidney transplant. Uh, just uh, he just found a, a donor. Rod Carew had a heart attack. It's been back in September 2015. We almost lost him. 
Rod Carew was a seven-time American League batting champion. He was a first ballot selection in the Hall of Fame in 1991, one of those great hitters who just flipped the ball on a line drive over the outfield. But uh, when he had his heart attack, he's since that time he's had basically a machine in his left ventricle, which is the part of your heart, one of the four chambers, the chamber that's most uh, common, that it is really pumps the blood to your body once it's oxygenated. So he had a device put in that chamber to allow him to assist uh, in getting that blood flow out. And so he's been living on that machine since September 15th of 2015. Mm. So he's now uh, finding getting finally going to get a heart and a kidney transplant. And the family wanted to thank the donor's family. Remember, you can become a donor. You just have to sign up before you pass away that uh, if something happens tragically to you, that you can, uh, you know, you can become a donor and be that kind of person that saves lives like Rod Crew, one of the great Hall of Fame baseball players. So anyway, when our, our thoughts and our prayers and our best wishes go out to the uh, Carew family as he's going through that. But, yeah, he was one of my favorites. Ferris, how about you here in our last 30 seconds? Oh, yeah, a great hitter. You know, that was back in the day when you, you had those guys that could just, just, like you said, just flip the ball to the opposite field, go the other way, hard to strike out. I mean, there, there were there were guys back then who struck out 30 times an entire season. Now you got guys striking out 300 <laughs> times. You know, yeah. they're getting $10 million yeah. contract. Yeah. So, different era, but, yeah, he was one of the best back then. He was one of the best. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks and an interview with Dr. Peter Seidberg when we come back on the other side of the short commercial break. There is an old quote that says, It is amazing how much you can accomplish when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Learning to be a part of a team is one of the most important lessons an athlete can learn. When the individual athletes begin to truly focus on their team and not on themselves, great things will begin to happen. When an athlete is more concerned with how the team plays as a whole and not on his individual stats, the team becomes better. But learning to be a team player in this way is extremely difficult. Most athletes want the accolades and the attention to be on them as an individual. Great athletes learn and know that they need the team to succeed, that it is everyone's job to put in the work, to work together, and to get better. Great athletes will lift their teammates up so that the team will succeed. Mental strength training can help the athlete develop the characteristics of being a great teammate and a great leader on the team. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can contact the Edge Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Amazing, so amazing, so amazing, so amazing. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. We're coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. If you want to find out more about our show or more about what I do on my day job at Texas Sport and Spine, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can also download our podcast on iTunes. Just go to uh, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and uh, listen to our show anytime, anywhere. Joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter, the longtime a voice of Grand Canyon University when they're doing their sports broadcasting now. Ferris, how long have you been doing with uh, how long you been with Grand Canyon in some capacity now? This is my eighth season. Eighth season there with uh, Dan Marley, the head basketball coach there, and Andy Stankiewicz, the uh, head baseball coach, former NBA and Major League Baseball coaches. So uh, each week we uh, bring you a sports medicine show, talking about what's going on in the sports medicine world, and uh, we are very honored to have on a good friend of mine and a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Doctor Pete Seidenberg. Doctor Seidenberg has been the team physician for Penn State University, where he continues in that capacity, as well as has a private uh, primary care sports medicine private practice. Dr. Seidenberg, uh, thanks for being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's always uh, fun to talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world. You and I uh, worked with a fellowship program uh, that you were the director of there at St. Louis University, and where we 
you know, helped uh, basically train young doctors to become sports medicine physicians. So for our listening audience who don't understand what a sports medicine fellowship is and how you became a primary care sports medicine doctor by doing a fellowship, kind of explain that process of how you became a sports medicine physician. Sure. So uh, in medical education, first you get your MD or your DO by going to medical school, and then you have your specialty training, which is your primary specialty, and you, be, you can become a, a sports medicine physician by going into family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, emergency medicine, uh, uh, physical medicine rehabilitation. And then you go after that, you do a fellowship after you're done with your residency training. You do an extra year of training in sports medicine fellowship. And so uh, what Dan and I did back in St. Louis is we ran St. Louis U's sports medicine fellowship program. And that's currently what I do here at Penn State University. And, man, it seems like Penn State, you and I were joking off here that they have really come to resurgence. Their Penn State football team this year, you know, goes out and beats Ohio State and wins the uh, Big Ten. But talk about uh, when you became the team physician with Penn State University and kind of your experience you've had with them the last several years. So I've been here at Penn State for the past uh, four and a half years. For the past four years, I've been the team physician for football. And uh, it's just been an amazing institution, an amazing uh, experience. The, uh, the, the thing that, you know, both you and I enjoy the most uh, in sports medicine is the relationship with the athletes. Yeah. And so you really get to know, know the students and get to have a positive impact on their lives and get to help them through uh, some good times and some bad times, the bad times when they get injured. And yeah. so you get to have a really good impact on their lives and, and get to help uh, watch them develop. Well, you know, Pete, uh, this year Penn State uh, went 11-2. and two. And, by the way, I take care of uh, Hardin-Simmons University. I like to refer to it as the Hardin-Simmons University, my alma mater. And they were 9-2. They were and two. So, Pete, we were 20-4 and four overall this year. Is not that uh, we keep track of sports medicine physicians that we think we have anything to do with it. We really do. But, but uh, they, you, had a, you had a great season there at Penn State University, 11-2. and two. Quite a turnaround from a story program that kind of fell from, from uh, that, that uh, top-notch level for a short while there with all the controversy that surrounded it. Man, but it seems like it's been a great job of putting it all behind them and how they're coming out now and really uh, doing great. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an amazing thing to, to witness um, and to really a privilege to be a part of. Um, the uh, university definitely went through some hard times with the sanctions, um, but there were a lot of unintended uh, consequences from those sanctions that negatively impacted recruiting, obviously. But then um, we had more injuries because of the sanctions because we had people playing oh, yeah. at this D- D1 level who wouldn't necessarily be playing wow. at that level in other institutions. And then we also had people who were playing positions they weren't used to playing because of the, the limited number of people that we had available. Right. Pierce? Hey, Pete, um, when you're going through those those times and you have those sanctions and you, you mentioned some of the kids showing up that maybe wouldn't be there, how long did it take for them to kind of get past that? Was that just like a one- or two-year deal, or are they still kind of – I mean, they had a great year this year, but are they still kind of recovering from that and still getting back on track? That's correct. Uh, we're seeing uh, um, great success because of – our, our current coaching staff doing an excellent job recruiting and an excellent job training um, the uh, student athletes, but you have lesser numbers when you have those sanctions. And it, you know, if you have sanctions that decrease your scholarships for a couple of years, that's going to have a down uh, down the line effect for four or five years. 
Hey, we're talking to Dr. Peter Seidenberg here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Dr. Seidenberg's the team physician at Penn State University. And, Pete, you're one of the, and, and uh, you're a very humble guy, so I can say this for you, but you're one of the best primary care sports medicine physicians, I think, in all the nation and all the world. And it's, part of it is because of how passionate you are about sports medicine. And it seems like your head coach there at Penn State, who's helped uh, turn the program around, James Franklin, has that same passion. And tell us a little bit about, about uh, your relationship with Coach Franklin and what you've seen in the last several years with him. So Coach Franklin is definitely uh, a high-energy, high-passion guy. He uh, definitely cares a lot, uh, not just for the program and for the wins and losses, but he cares uh, a lot about developing these athletes as young men. And so he cares about them athletically, he cares about them academically, he cares about them socially, and he cares about them spiritually. And so he emphasizes all of those aspects um, during, throughout the entire year. And so it's not just football. It's about these young men. Right. Hey, Pete, how long does it take you when, when you take over or something like that or when a new coach comes in? How long does it take you guys to kind of figure out, um, I mean, how to relate? Because I'm assuming, you know, as a, the medical guy, you know, you're treating the, the athlete, and that's your prime, your prime concern as a student athlete. But at the same time, you've got to interface with this coaching staff, and I'm assuming they're all different. How long does it take to kind of get an idea of hey, how you're going to work with these guys? Uh, you know, it takes uh, a while to build uh, relationships, and so some people you end up clicking with right away, but still tr- take some time to figure out how each person works things. And so it takes a year or two to really get a feel for each other and to uh, work out the little uh, nuances of working together. And, you know, uh, you, we talk about this a lot in the sports medicine world, but really is a team, a sports medicine team, and you being the uh, physician, you're dealing with athletic trainers. I remember you and I one year were uh, fortunate enough to work with the uh, U.S. figure skating Olympic team uh, when they came through and doing the U.S. trials. And I always remember I was working uh, the that day was my day to be the team physician part of it. And uh, a, a skater comes in and he says, uh, where are the lava rocks? I said, uh, what? He said, yeah, the lava rocks. I said, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, from a, from a behind a screen, uh, a massage therapy, yells, oh, that's me. He's coming back here to work with me. So, you know, you can be anything from massage therapy to a physical tr- uh, therapist to an athletic trainer. It really is a team when you're taking care of these athletes. And I always say that the longer I do sports medicine, the more I realize what I don't know. But having other parts of that team be able to do the things you're not able to do is a huge part of what we do in, as uh, team physicians. So talk about that whole team you have there at Penn State and uh, who, are, who are some of the people you work with there? So in addition to the athletic trainers, I mean, we have amazing athletic trainers here at Penn State. And so Tim Bream is the head athletic trainer for the university and the head for football. But we have a, a whole team of athletic trainers for football, um, and they are just superb at uh, prehab, which is uh, treating a mechanical deficits that are noticed before injuries happen, so in a, in a way to prevent injuries from occurring. And then when people do get hurt, they're great at rehabbing them and getting them back on the field um, quickly and safely. And so I, I work intimately with the athletic trainers. But other key personnel are uh, the nutritionists. Yeah. And so we have two sports nutritionists here. And so, unfortunately, most people have no idea how to <laughs> adequately fuel their body yeah. for recovery and for growth uh, and for muscle building. And so... So that is uh, an enormously beneficial part for our athletes. And then sports psychology is big. Yeah. And so we have uh, one of the premier sports psychologists, uh, Dave Eukelson, on campus. And so he, uh, he has been a great help to our athletes as well. Right. Ferris, you have a question for Dr. Seidberg? Hey, 
Yeah, uh, Pete, on game day, are, are you down on the sideline? And do you get to enjoy the game uh, like, like kind of as a fan, or are you looking at it from a different perspective and not, not get much time to enjoy it? It's more work for you on, the, on game day. So it kind of depends on what happens during that game. Uh, when nothing is going on injury-wise, uh, I'm able to enjoy things. But uh, when Dan and I are on the sidelines, we're always watching things from a yeah. different lens. Yeah. And so when there's a, a great hit on the field, uh, Dan and I kind of get a little tense. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> and so – we, we look, um, and so you can tell some hits are higher risk for neck injury or are higher risk for shoulder dislocation or higher risk for a concussion. And so we, we have um, eyes on the athletes as they get up from that hit. And so once we see that they're okay, um, th- then we can relax a little bit and be more of a fan. <laughs> but uh, very often, as they're coming off the field, I'm walking right towards them to make sure that they're okay yeah. and make sure that there's no problems with concussion or, or neck injury or something like that. Hey, uh, we're talking to Dr. Seidberg, the uh, team physician with uh, uh, Penn State University, where Pete and I train together or work together at St. Louis University. Hey, Pete, i got to tell you this story. So uh, I'm, I'm at Mary Harden. We're, Harden-Sims University, who I take care of, is playing Mary Harden-Baylor, Division Three powerhouses, both of them. And, and uh, it comes down to we're both undefeated and we're playing each other for the uh, conference title, and, and it's also because Division Three is a playoff-tier system. If you win the conference, you automatically make a playoff burst. So it's a huge game near the end of the year. So Harden-Simmons wins the game, and I go out, and I'm like a kid, Pete. I'm jumping up and down. You and I are fans. We love sports. I mean, it's one of the reasons uh, Dr. Seidenberg and I went into sports medicine, because we love sports and we're fans to start with, and we love being around athletes and the, and the whole atmosphere. So I'm jumping up and down. I'm chest bumping a bunch of players. Where I'm, I'm high-fiving the coaches. I mean, I'm just having a great time. We've already won the game. We've already taken care of the athletes. So... I get in the car after the game's over. My son came with me. He goes, like, what smells, Dad? I said, I don't know, man. Something smells like B.O. in here. I realized the front of my shirt, because I've been chest bumping the players, is covered in sweat. <laughs> I was like a little kid, man, out there bumping. Here's my question for you, Pete. Did you do the same thing when Penn State beat Ohio State in that game? Were you out there chest bumping players, got in the car a little stinky? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was uh, unbelievable. Um, the Big Ten championship game, I was definitely doing that. Wanted to do that after the Ohio State game, yeah. But the field got rushed. Oh, by I bet the fans. it did. Oh, I never thought about and, that. Yeah. And so I was actually more concerned about the safety of the athletes yeah. at that point. Right. Yeah, that is a kind of scary moment. You see that happen a lot. We've reported that here on Docs and Jocks several basketball games where athletes have been injured from fans rushing the court. We see that in football games where they've torn down the goalposts and players have gotten seriously injured and fans have gotten seriously injured. But that's a little bit of a scary moment. So you were right in the midst of that fan rush when it happened uh, when Penn State beat Ohio State. That happened on the field. Was everybody okay? Everybody was okay. We did have uh, one uh, mild ankle injury from one of our athletes. But um, I did end up seeing several people in the office uh, that were fans yeah. uh, after afterwards from, you know, Hurting themselves, jumping the fence, and so on. Yeah. It was good for uh, it was good for job security. But that's <laughs> yeah, about it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Seidenberg, you're also a avid uh, rugby fan, and when we were uh, partners together, you were uh, playing rugby actively still. So, did you go into that rugby mode when those people were charging? I bet you could figure out how to get out of that off that field if you had to. 
Well, I, I would know how to tackle them and take them down, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> but if I don't have a bunch of guys rucking over yeah. me, you know, to help me out, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> but you are, speaking of that, being an avid rugby fan and uh, also a football fan, hey, talk to us about the direction. You know, we see sports right now, which, which way we're going. You know, we obviously love the game of football. We love rugby. We're trying to make those games safer through whatever means we can by decreasing the amount of head injuries and concussions. And where you kind of see the safety going with concussions and head injuries that you and I see often in the office? So I think the rule changes that are being enforced um, are definitely beneficial. Um, and so, for example, the targeting rules are, are very uh, beneficial and are designed to protect our athletes. And so I think that is very helpful. Some other rule changes that have been implemented in football, if you look at the touchback on the kickoff, now takes you to the 25-yard line. And so you have more incentive to not run it out of the end zone. Most of the injuries, um, uh, uh, concussive injuries, happen on that kickoff. Yeah. And so they're, they're doing things to try to minimize that without impacting the game uh, too much. And so I think that has been very beneficial. Some other things that have helped, um, you know, the, the heads-up football, yeah. um, and with USA football, tackling with your heads up instead of trying to put your head on someone's uh, someone else's head, I think that has been very beneficial as well. Right. And so, um, however, everyone gets scared of, of concussions, especially with all the media attention that it has gotten. And we have to remember the benefits of playing organized sport. And so um, kids who are involved in organized sports have less drug use, less, less uh, school truancy, are more likely to be employed, and are, are more likely to stay in school. And so there are enormous uh, benefits to participating in sport. Absolutely, absolutely. Fair have one last question here, last minute for Dr. Seinberg. Yeah, Pete, you, you, since you played rugby and you know the tackling process in rugby, we've heard a lot of talk about them trying to kind of implement more rugby tackling in football. Uh, Pete Carroll, I think, was kind of on the forefront. Have you seen that? Does that make sense to you? Well, from a performance aspect, it certainly does. Uh, when you just throw yourself at another player without wrapping up, you're less likely to tackle. And so uh, as a rugby guy, whenever one of the athletes just throws their body without wrapping up and doesn't bring down the other guy, the opposing player, I'm like, will you wrap somebody? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. it's, yeah. just, it's very frustrating yeah. me as a rugby guy to, to see that and to see plays missed because of simple failure to wrap. Right. I also see more injuries when you don't wrap up. Right. And so um, and so it's also a prevention aspect. Hey, we've been interviewing Dr. Peter Seidberg, one of the uh, world-renowned uh, primary care sports medicine physician in, in, in all the world. So I want to say thank you, Pete, for uh, coming on Docs and Jocks. I also look forward to having you uh, see you jumping up and down the sidelines more often when Penn State is they're doing so good. I appreciate all that you uh, do for the world of sports medicine. We'll have you on again real soon, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. All right. Hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks for Sports Medicine Radio Show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about Docs and Jocks and what we do here on our sports medicine radio show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, 
Or you can follow us on our iTunes app, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can follow that podcast anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Do want to say thank you to our wonderful sponsors, including Abling Tech as well as Medical Diagnostic Imaging. Hey, if you want to get a uh, the best price in town with regards to a great MRI, both open and closed, you can do that by going to Medical Diagnostic Imaging. It's a great place. That's all they do there. They just take images with uh, MRI and CT scan. Very simple. You don't have to fight the big uh, maze of hospitals. Very easy to get into. Very uh, economically uh, feasible as well. So give them a call at Medical Diagnostic Imaging or request that place from your doctor when you go there next. Hey, yo, if, uh, do the show with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, man, we've had some great interviews already this week, man, including uh, the last interview we just finished with uh, Penn State uh, head uh, team physician there, Pete Seidenberg. I thought that was a wonderful interview we just did with my good friend, Dr. Seidenberg. Yeah, Pete sounds like a pretty cool guy, man. Yeah, he really is. Plays rugby. Rugby we're, guy. We were huge fans. I mean, a lot of people who go into the sports medicine world, whether they're physical therapists or sports medicine physicians, uh, athletic trainers, really we kind of usually get our first toe in the water look at that, feel, at that field because we love sports. So maybe you've had an injury and you've seen the physical therapist and you say, hey, I want to be a, a physical therapist because I enjoy working with athletes. Same thing in my world. I originally was a sports fan, played all the sports, football, baseball, basketball growing up, and then I went into that field. And that's the way Pete was. And so we had a blast covering sports, but also we felt like we were doing what we were passionate about in our day jobs. It always makes life a lot easier. Hey, but online, Ferris, we're honored to have on a good friend of Docs and Jocks and a former All-Big 12 uh, linebacker, Eddie Lackey. Hey, Eddie, thanks for being on the show here. Absolutely. I'm happy to be on. Thank you so much. Man, still our favorite uh, all-time linebacker. And uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, we got some good news coming out of uh, Baylor. Uh, that, um, and thankfully some good news coming out of there. We see Matt Rule taking over. He is a head football coach, four successful years at Temple. Uh, he was also before that a New York Giants assistant uh, O-line coach in 2012. And uh, he came out and said, uh, I'm a guy that likes fixing things. So first of all, tell us what the feeling is there in Waco and in the Baylor family, football family, with Matt Rule taking the program over. Sure, yeah. I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, people are just fired up about it. I, I talked to guys that – you know, I've played with, I've talked to current players right now um, and who will be on the team for the next few years. And uh, they've met him, and, and, you know, I haven't personally met him yet, but he's, I mean, from everything, you know, from a resume standpoint to what he just did at Temple the past few years, I mean, he's, I think this is exactly what we needed at Baylor. And uh, I think a lot of people are on that same page. And, 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 re, and, and I think a lot of people kind of had, you know, they're, uh, they're second, or not second thoughts, but, you know, they, um, they kind of worried about his nose uh, or the lack thereof of Texas ties. And, uh, I mean, you can see what he's doing right now. He's hiring, I think he's already got three um, high school, yeah. Texas high school coaches in there. And that's, that's big time, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people are, um, are jumping on board with him here really quick. And, you know, at, I, he, he's already reached out to a lot of the alumni, and, and uh, it's just uh, I think he's he's really getting tied in, and um, it's a great fit. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what what he does um, from a scheme standpoint, and you know just just where that's going to go with uh, with Baylor, and it's going to be a completely new image, and we needed a fresh start, and yeah. uh, I think that's what we're getting with Matt Rule. 
And uh, Coach Rule, his uh, last hire, you just mentioned this, he's hiring Texas uh, high school football coaches. He just hired Joey McGuire, who was uh, the Cedar Hill Texas high school football coach, and they had just won three state titles at Cedar Hill. So, yeah, definitely good hire when you're hiring guys who win state titles in Texas. But you're right, that's a great point because you got to have that. Man, football is a tight niche family, and especially in the Texas world, if you have those connections to the high school coaches, man, that's like a pipeline to your school. Absolutely, and and especially for a guy that's won state championships. I mean, the guy's name rings a bell all across the state, and 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 probably in other states too. I mean, yeah. you you definitely um, when you win in Texas uh, in the high school ranks. I mean, it's it's something to be very proud of, and 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 I think you know everybody understands that, and and just the reputation that he has is. I mean, that's that is big time for us to to have him on the on the staff at Baylor and. Um, obviously he relates well with, with guys and, um, I'm sure he's, he knows everybody in Texas as far as coaches and, and, and that's just, um, that's going to be huge for recruiting. Yeah. I think, you know, to have that connection for recruiting and, and especially that big step that we've got to take right now in recruiting. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a rough, you know, past six, seven months. And, um, and I, I think just from what I'm seeing, um, I mean, they're offering got new guys every single day, which yeah. is exactly what we needed the new guy to do is jump in there and start doing that, and and they're doing that, and that's and it's awesome. They're they're offering some some big time players, and and they're excited about it. That's 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 awesome, and they should be. And right. and um, so that's that's a really cool thing about um, him hiring on a few Texas high school. Uh, football coaches. Hey, we're speaking to Eddie Lackey, former All Big Twelve uh, middle linebacker for Baylor University. Ferris, you have a question for Eddie Lackey? Yeah, Eddie. Um, how, how long do you think it takes to really turn this thing around? Um, I mean, I know we ask a lot of these football coaches. They they got to interface with the administration, with the players, with the parents, with you know the media. A lot on their plate. But um, how, how big is the task you think uh, ahead of these guys, and how long do you think? before they really turn things back around and get things humming there at Baylor? You know, I do – you look at it from the outside in. It is a huge task. It is – what happened there at Baylor is just – I mean, it was a tragedy for us. I mean, just all in, everything that's kind of gone on, it's, 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 it's going to be a tough trail to, um, to go on. But um, I think – Mac Rhodes, athletic director, when he was hiring a guy, he, he knew, um, you know, the, the hire that he was about to make, this guy was more than capable of turning the school around and not just turning it around, but being able to do it quickly too. Um, and I think Matt Rule, uh, just, you know, from his resume and the type of person that he is and even just the, the, the few moves that he has made already, um, I, I really could see it turning around, you know, I would hope by year three um, we're we're back to contention in the Big Twelve, um, and and I think it could be you know I I don't want to think it couldn't happen sooner. I, I honestly um, I think if we just keep getting um, back into the recruiting ranks and and um, you know we're we're competing against a pretty big state here and and uh, and I think if we can get back up there and in, in recruiting and getting some good guys and, you know, letting the, uh, the systems set, set in, because I think that's going to be a, a big part in having a new offense coordinator, new, new defense coordinator, not just the head coach, but in, in the scheme part of it, um, guys got to adjust. And, and um, 
I think uh, just what the the way that he runs a program and, and what I've researched about him and, and everything, it, it it seems like he could be, you know, a guy that that can turn it around pretty pretty quick. But I would, if I had to put a number on it, I would say somewhere around year three, um, I would I would expect them to be back in the contention um, for a Big Twelve title. And hey, we're talking Eddie Lackey, all Big 12 quarterback or a linebacker. Hey, Eddie, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your good friend Bryce Petty uh, getting a chance with the New York Jets. He was a quarterback when you were at Baylor. And uh, what do you think about him getting engaged to an Abilene girl after you went out and married an Abilene girl? What's, what's the deal with all you Baylor uh, former uh, standouts marrying Abilene girls? No. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. He, funny story about that is he met her after she – she sang at our wedding. Oh, and, really? Uh, oh, I didn't know that's how they met. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was there. She sang at our wedding, and she did a good um, job. Apparently, she was like, who is that girl? <laughs> we we're like, oh, that's 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 Jordan. And uh, I think it 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 just took off from there. They, they dated since that time, and you know, it's it's just it's really exciting, and it's cool because you know it just fell together. Uh, and, and coming back to Abilene is just going to be that much cooler. Yeah, that is cool. That's really cool. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, Bryce being one of my best friends, he, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be cool coming back into Abilene. But as far as his opportunity with the Jets and, and, and everything that's going on right now, I was talking to him last night, actually. And he's just, I mean, I've never seen somebody just so, uh, that you can tell how confident he is. Yeah. Just in the way that he talks about it. And it's not it's not a surprise just because I know how Bryce is and, and it's cool. But he just he prepares so well and he just uh it, it, it all goes back for him, just the fear of failure and, and that's huge for a lot of people, but he takes that to another level, I yeah. feel like. And he just you know, he I think I saw something about him or I asked him about it the other day. I saw an article written about it and he said uh He's the first guy at the facility, and that didn't surprise me at all, which is which is awesome. Every morning, he, if I get a, if I text him late at night, I promise you, I get a text. And and, and given there's a, a time difference in New York, I, I'll get the text at like three a.m. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he's already up and at him, and, wow. and that's like, you know, he's he's up. He, he didn't just wake up in the middle of the night and you know text me back and go back to sleep. Like he's up and 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 he's just. He's that kind of guy, yeah. and uh, I think he's just taking that that opportunity and running with it. And for him to lead um, the Jets last week in that second half was right. was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was really cool to see, and and um, I think he can carry that momentum going into these these last games into the season. And um, you know, I, I, I think the the coaches saw a lot in him uh, with that leadership that he. Uh, displayed last Sunday, um, coming out with a big, big win against uh, you know San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know we uh, talk about uh, Bryce Petty and uh, yourself with your career there, but uh, post football career you were uh, worked at uh, D one. Uh, we work our show here is based out of D one Abilene, but you were training athletes uh, at D one Waco for a period of time too. So tell us about your uh, post football career and how you were training some athletes. Absolutely, yeah. We uh, so I, when I got. When I got done, I really, you know, I wanted to get into training guys, and and I didn't know which way um, I wanted to do that quite yet. So um, I had gotten into just doing some personal training and, and all that. But 
Um, eventually, I got the opportunity to, to manage the uh, D1 Waco facility, and um, it was just, I mean, it was incredible um, as far as just the, uh, the people you come across and, and, and training, um, you know, everyone from uh, 70 years old down to, you know, six, seven years old. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just, and, there's, and there's all different types of um, training uh, that people are wanting to do, whether it's the boot camps or it's the scholastic classes or, you know, one-on-one training, <clears throat> all of that, it, it, it's just, you know, it, it's really awesome to um, get around people and, and, uh, and coach them up and, um, you know, something that uh, I really enjoyed and I feel like I thrived in was uh, one-on-one, obviously, uh, football-specific yeah, training. And, imagine and that. that. That's something I was just completely passionate about. And right. uh, so I've kind of – I'm doing something, um, uh, a linebacker academy. It's called Linebacker USA here in Waco right now. Oh, awesome. Well, um, so I, I, it, it's for, you know, basically any age group, even guys that are coming back, you know, from their off-season in the NFL, CFL, AFL, any of those kind of things, or, um, or even high school kids, which is, is my main market. And uh, it's you know that's something I've kind of niched out with and, and really uh, jumped on lightly. Yeah, here we're talking to a former uh, All Big Twelve middle linebacker Eddie Lackey. And uh, here in the last couple minutes, Ferris, you have a question for uh, Eddie? Yeah, Eddie, I was just wondering. You know, I know a lot of guys when the, when their playing days are over, they really miss the camaraderie and the competition. I know you're you're getting some of that with the individual training, but. Do you see yourself going into coaching back on a team, and how are you getting that competitive uh, that those competitive juices? How are you satisfying those these days? <laughs> Playing golf against my father-in-law and getting frustrated—I <laughs> think that's uh, that's where the uh, frustration um, can come out. But I, I think uh, if I can get better at at golfing, it'll put my mind at ease about football. <laughs> but. Uh, and I, and I joke with him about that all the time. I told him I went into retirement, but since I'm coming back out there here for, for Christmas and there stuff, go. I'm going to be <laughs> coming out of retirement and, and trying it again. And I think that's just where, you know, the competitiveness, I'm just trying to translate it in, in different areas. But, right. I, you know, to be honest with you, I just I don't see myself doing, um, you know, a coaching a, a team or, you know, uh, maybe uh, down the road for a kid or, or something. But other than that, I just don't. I don't see myself getting into, uh, you know, coaching high school or college or anything like that. I think um, with what I'm doing right now, I think that, you know, I, I, I enjoy being able to take guys one-on-one and do, you know, specific work for um, a specific position, too, and, and, and let alone the position that I played and, and passionate about. And, and I think, you know, with this linebacker academy that I'm doing, I'm able to get that out of, um, doing this, so it's um, to me. I, I just I, I don't see myself getting into you know coaching and, and all that, but I, I, I do enjoy it. Um, hey, hey Eddie, if someone here in our listening audience would want to find out more about your linebacker, you how would they uh, find out more about it and become part of it? If they have, if do you have a website or how would they become part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I do have a website. It's called uh, linebackerusa.com. Here you go. Um, and you- you can just go on there, and, and um, we have our prices listed on right. there and, and uh, you know, all the different kinds of training. and yeah. one of them. Well, we've been, uh, we've You can been, go on there. 
Check it out. Hey, we've been talking to Eddie Lackey, former All-Big 12 middle linebacker. Hey, Eddie, always great catching up. Hey, thanks for all your insight on Baylor and how they're rebounding. Sounds good for the Bears in the near future. So, hey, we'll have to have you on again real soon. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. Hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. We come to you live from inside D1 Abling Radio Studios, a sports training facility here in the big country. Man, it's great to have you joining us. If you're joining us for the very first time, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Find out how to follow our show there, or you can also follow us on social media, or you follow our podcast on iTunes. Just go to the Docs and Jocks uh, podcast, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and follow us anytime, anywhere. Hey, I'm joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, where our show is also broadcast out there in Phoenix. And, uh, Ferris, tell us what's coming up with the uh, Grand Canyon University Antelopes in this uh, next week with uh, basketball and uh, got this Christmas break coming up and all the good stuff going on out there. Well, we finished our juggernaut of a schedule. We played three top 20 teams uh, in the non-conference, Duke, uh, and then uh, Louisville and just U of A. Louisville, got, what? Uh, Mississippi- Speaking of yeah, Louisville, what? That is just a school that's gone crazy. Every oh time you hear God. Louisville, it's like anything in the news is like terrible, man. They're in trouble. They're, uh, I know, I know. I know. I know. Who knows how that's all gonna gonna pan out? But you, the problem with that is every time you hear something bad about them, you go, "Yeah, that's probably true." Probably true. I know. It's <laughs> sad, man. Really it's sad. Know. Yeah, we had the plays. We didn't use them, but yeah, we stole them. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got Mississippi Valley State coming uh, on Saturday. Then we got uh, about four home games and finish off on um, New Year's Eve out in California and then we start the uh, conference play. So 5 and 5 through that 10 probably should have been 6 and 4 or maybe even 7 and 3, but 5 and 5 with three games against top 25 teams, uh, top 20 teams. That's pretty good. Awesome, so yeah. we'll take it and move on from there. Hey, I do want to say thank you to, uh, to all our sponsors. And this segment is brought to you by some of our great sponsors, including West Texas Neurosurgeons, Doctors Trammell, Brown, and Edelman, as well as First Financial Bank and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Hey, right before we went to uh, doing our interview there with Eddie Lackey and before that uh, Penn State team physician uh, Pete Seidenberg, uh, we were talking about Rod Carew, and he's getting ready uh, to have a heart and kidney transplant because he had a heart attack, and he had to have a uh, basically a cardiac machine that allows that left ventricle to pump blood out to the body. He's been living on that machine since his heart attack back September of 2015, so it's been a long year for the Carew family, but they're going to he's going to undergo a uh, kidney and heart transplant. And Rod Carew, for those of our younger listening audience, was a uh, seven-time American League batting champion, so a great baseball player, played for the Twins, and uh, the Angels, and so uh, I thought, Ferris, you could speak real quickly about your memories of Rod Carew. For those who don't remember, what a great baseball player he was. He was a first-time Hall of Fame ballot guy, so obviously good. Yeah, I mean, you know, over 3,000 hits. I mean, the guy got, uh, you know, 200 hits, I think four times, five times in his career, played 19 years, mm-hmm. you know, had a batting average of 328. He was just one of those guys where, you just could not – I mean, he, he just didn't give anything away. He was very tough to, to get out. This guy over a 19-year career averaged only 54 strikeouts a year. Wow. Now, you you look at the guys that are winning MVPs now. They're striking out every one of them over 130, 140 times usually, yeah. you know. I mean, it's amazing that back back then these guys just put the ball in play. They didn't strike out. Um, so he was a fantastic player. And early on in his career, he stole a few bases, did things like that. But, um, you know, just a, just a great player. Played from the 60s all the way into the 80s and played basically with Minnesota and California his entire career. 
Um, just one of those guys that you had to kind of game plan against and, and plan on. Didn't hit the ball deep a lot, uh, yeah. but, um, you know, base hit, singles hitter, and uh, just a tough tough guy to get out, man. Tough guy to get yeah. out. Two things I remember about uh, Rod Crew, two quick stories. is One, he used to lay a towel out along the third base foul line, so a regular-sized towel, and they said he could drop a bunt on the towel, land on the towel nine times out of ten. The other one, one I remember, wow. he, I think he has the all-time most bunt, bunt base hits uh, ever. And then uh, the other one I remember about him is that he always – had a big chaw of tobacco in his cheek and it yeah. was it was in his uh, he was a left-handed hitter and he wore he had that big chaw in his right side the old school tobacco you know red man and he said yeah. he did it so it would pull open his eye bigger so when i was in a little league i took red man uh, not red man uh big league chew which was a bubble gum and i put that bubble gum the whole package in one cheek so i would look like rod crew and it opened my eye up bigger so i could hit better it never quite worked for me like it did rod crew but I thought I looked cool doing it. <laughs> I remember reading the exact same thing, and I tried the exact same thing with bubble gum, and I was just like, yeah, it didn't really help me much, but it, it made me feel cool when I did it. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, sad to see that he's having to go through those struggles, but, man, we're wishing him the best, and hopefully he'll come out on the other side doing well. Uh, also, a 27-year-old Colorado Rockies pitcher uh, Chad Bettis comes out this week, and Major League Baseball revealed uh, that he is undergoing testicular cancer treatment which has included uh, having to have a testicle removed and the reason i'm talking about this is that it is one of the most common cancers in young men so men 20 to 40 testicular cancer uh, is is common and it is also uh, about 99 99 uh, preventable as far as if you catch it early you have a life expectancy which is incredibly high if you catch it early not if you catch it late so it's one of those things, just like we expect women to do, or we ask them to do uh, breast exams to catch breast cancer early, because if you catch it early, your chance of survival goes up dramatically uh, compared to catching it late. And the same thing in testicular cancer in men, you should do testicular uh, checks where you feel if there's lumps, bumps, gross, anything that starts causing pain in the testicle area, you should get it checked out early because, once again, is one of the more common uh, cancers in men from age 20 to 40. So, yeah, Hawk has a question for us. Hey, uh, Chad is a good friend of mine. He was at he Texas Tech. He was a stud pitcher. So, oh, I did uh, not know he's a Texas Tech yeah, Red Raider. I yeah, I saw that story this week too. Yeah, so, this is Brandon uh, Hawk, our producer, uh, who was also a Texas Tech Red Raider uh, athletic trainer. So yeah, yeah. So he he put out a uh, tweet this week. Said my growing family, his wife is pregnant. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to say thank you for our thoughts, prayers, and kind words. We will get through this and better together. Yeah, so. maybe we could get him on the uh, show to talk about his yeah. uh, trial with that and what he went through and. The importance of men doing uh, testicular checks to catch cancer early. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear, man. He's a good young man, too. So his doctors also told him it shouldn't affect his ability to have children. His wife's pregnant. So, you know, losing one testicle, you still uh, can have children and, and those kind of things. So, man, catch it early. Do what you need to do to be able to prevent that. But that one and uh, another one that's uh, very uh, preventable as far as uh, decreasing your life expectancy if you catch it early that is a common cancer in young men and women is uh, melanoma. So if you have a, a mole that looks like it changes sizes, depth, shape, itches, uh, bleeds, anything that changes, go see your doctor. If you get it taken off early, much, much higher chance of living through that than if you don't do it. So, hey, we wish Chad Bettis and his family all the best uh, in his recovery from testicular cancer for sure. Uh, all the coaches uh, we have interviewed, uh, Ferris, always like two-sport athletes. We've uh, we've interviewed everybody from Gene Stallings, Jimmy Keeling. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you all the coaches. Spike Dykes, all the great coaches we've had. Um, just had on Jesse Burleson earlier on our show today. Um, 
and they all like the athletes that play two sports. Well, I thought this was a unique one. He's probably one of the better ones in the country right now. Remember Tory Hunter uh, Ferris? He played, I think, 18 years in the big leagues. He may still be playing, I, yeah. or he may have just retired. But he, he just retired. But Tory Hunter was one of the great center fielders in the American League. Was always on a bunch of highlight films. Well, his son Tory Hunter Jr. is a wide receiver at Notre Dame. And uh, he just got drafted by the Los Angeles Angels, and he decided to uh, forego his fifth year at uh, Notre Dame where he had redshirted and uh, uh, pursue a baseball career. Now listen to this, Ferris. This is where speed does things for you. He only played baseball for 23 games, appeared in 23 games for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish baseball team. He was 2-for-12 with a 167 uh, batting average. He was mainly employed as a pinch hitter. The guy can absolutely fly. He's a wide receiver for Notre Dame. Obviously, his dad was a five-time All-Star, nine-time Gold Glove winner. And so the Angels said, hey, we're going to take a shot with this guy and see if we can uh, teach him how to play the game of baseball. But if he can run so fast, if we at least get him to uh, hit some ground balls, he'll beat it out. But it's pretty cool that he's going to be playing baseball when he could have pursued a football career as well. Yeah, it's interesting that he decided to forego that last year, but, you know, probably figuring, hey, get started now in the baseball career. And, you know, Torrey played so long with uh, the Twins and then with the Angels. Um, and they probably see a lot. I mean, it's going to be a raw talent, but, boy, he's obviously an athlete and he's got good genes. So I'm sure they're looking at him thinking, hey, let's get him in the program. And let's, yeah. let's get him now and get him started. Yeah, it probably doesn't hurt that his name's Torrey Hunter Jr. That probably helped uh, was to his benefit, don't you think? Like Ken Griffey Jr.? Yeah, he looks a lot like his dad, too. I was looking at him running around a little bit. He looks about the same. You know, he's going to be a big kid. Yeah. Torrey was always a big guy, but so athletic and fluid out there in the outfield defensively. It was He was a great ball player. Yeah, I met Torrey's brother. Uh, he worked uh, in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My son and I were buying a, a glove, and his uh, brother worked there. And he was talking about what a big, close family they have, a bunch of brothers who grew up playing football together and baseball and basketball out in the backyard. So I'm sure uh, Torrey Hunter Jr. has had a lot of uncles uh, – playing sports with him uh, during Thanksgiving and Christmas breaks and all throughout the year as well. But always helps growing up a family of a bunch of boys who are athletic for sure. Yeah, and you got your dad. I'm sure he spent a lot of time in clubhouses and down on the field and watching. And you kind of get the feel of what it takes to, to rise to that level. Um, you see a lot of that with, with athletes. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, people yeah. forget his dad was a great ball player. Great, you know, yeah. Barry the... Bonds, his dad was a great ball player. Yeah, yeah. You Ken know? Griffey Jr., so people forget helps. that Ken Griffey, the senior, was a, a part of the big red machine. Because Ken Griffey yeah, Jr. was so famous. But uh, same with Barry Bonds Jr. You're exactly right. His dad, Barry Bonds, was played with the Giants team with Willie Mays and uh, Willie McCovey and was considered the next Willie Mays. He was given that, that tag. That's kind of a hard thing to try and live up to, by the way, when someone says you're going to be the next – Willie Mays, here's the next Hank Aaron, here's the next Mickey Mantle. Man, those are some uh, tough monikers to live up to. Yeah, there's only one of those guys. There's yeah. only one of those guys. Yeah. But uh, but but Bonds uh, Sr. was was a fantastic. Yes. Doing a lot of what Barry did, hitting for yeah. power, and stealing bases. bases, could do everything, you know. Yeah. We had a, we interviewed on our show Bump Wills, who played with the Texas Rangers, one of the all-time leading stolen base leaders. His dad, Maury Wills, was also a great baseball player as well. So, yeah, that father-son thing teams, seems to work out sometimes. Uh, some other ones I can think of off the top of my head. Remember you had Dale Barra, who was Yogi Barra's son, who played uh, in the big leagues as well. So there's been a lot of father-son combinations. There's been several that have been multiple generations. You had Aaron Boone and Bob Boone and uh, Ray, yeah. Ray Boone before him. So been some where there's been multiple generations where it's come through. So, yeah, good genes help. It's like uh, our earlier interview we had with Ollie Cady, who is the uh, throwing performance coach at the Texas Baseball Ranch. He said genes as, uh, can be where you start at. It doesn't tell you where you can stop at. So, in other words, you get a, get a good starting point with your good genetics, but you got to work with it and make it better. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was I was I got a chance to interview Bill Frieder, who used to, you know, coached in uh, Michigan and put that team together that won the national yeah, championship, got right. got fired before they went to the tournament because he t- accepted a job at ASU and made it public. And so Bo Schimbechter said, well, you don't want to be here anymore? Go ahead and leave and fired him. <laughs> um, and then Steve Fisher won the national championship. Yeah. And then he came out to ASU. And so I was talking to Bill Frieder and I said, you know, coach, you've been around a ton of great coaches. You've been in the business for a long time. What what are some of the keys that make a good coach? And he looked at me and he goes, players, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. you got to be able to X's and O's. It helps. All that stuff helps. But if you if you don't get players, man, it don't matter how good you are at the X's and O's. You just can't win. So, so. He, he so he's the guy that recruited the Fab Five that went on to win the uh, national championship with Michigan. Uh, no, he was before that and won it with Ramil Robinson. And I think Glenn, Glenn Robinson, those guys. Yeah. And then um, and then Fisher came in and won with that team. And then he's Fisher's the guy that recruited the Fab oh, Five okay, okay. years later and right. uh, brought them all there, got them all to show up. And I think they only won. One. Did they win one? They, won they, won. Lost, like, they lost two or three. I think they yeah. were in it like the famous Chris Weber ones, the one they lost. Yeah, the famous Chris Weber where he called the timeout with no timeouts left and got a technical and they lost the game by uh, one. So, yeah, no, that's uh, it's definitely true, man. You can be a great coach, but if you don't have the right horses, man, it's going to be tough to try and uh, lead that team. You better be a great coach if you try and win it without good players. So that, I don't, that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of trying to come back early and guys that have uh, really been able to uh, overcome injuries, uh, Adrian Peterson was one of those guys. Remember, he returned from his uh, anterior cruciate ligament tear or rupture where he had it reconstructed in his knee. I think it was within six months he was back running in the NFL and setting an uh, NFL rushing record that year. Adrian Peterson uh, was status post to having a meniscectomy, which is when they go in and take a little piece of a torn meniscus and they take it out to try and stop the pinching or pulling on the uh, meniscus when it hurts when you when you have it torn. And uh, he did this during week two, and now he's back practicing with the team, and uh, he's wearing a knee brace, and he's now 10 weeks, uh, in week 10, so really about 10 weeks is how long it took for him to come back from a meniscectomy, which is pretty good, man, when you're talking about how long it typically takes. I've seen sooner than that, which is pretty rare, but that's pretty good. Adrian Peterson, I really didn't expect anything different after his ACL rehabilitation to see him come back pretty quick after meniscectomy tear. The Vikings, surprisingly, after all their injuries this year, losing their quarterback and then Adrian Peterson, they've really kind of hung around there, and they really have a shot at the playoffs if they can win these last uh, you know, four games. Yeah, the Vikings, you know, they were very surprising early on. They won, what, four or five in a yeah. row, and they lost like four or five yeah, in a row. Yeah, with no, no Teddy Bridgewater, uh, yeah. Yeah, it really hurt them. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's weird in the in the uh, NFL, there's a bunch of teams just kind of hanging around. They're not, they're not really good. They're not really bad. They're just kind of still hanging around in there. And once you make the playoffs, it's the second season. You get hot. You never know what could happen. And you get AP back. I mean, you know, who knows? Why not? Why couldn't the Vikings? I don't know. You're exactly you know, right. Yeah. yeah. So with those two players, if they would have had Teddy Bridgewater to start the season and a full, healthy Adrian Peterson, I think they're definitely ahead of that vision. But that just shows you, once again, we talk about it all the time. You have to have great players, you have to have great luck, and you have to avoid some injuries along the way. And then, unfortunately, they just had injuries to some of the key players uh, before the season even started. Hey, this is our last minute here on Docs and Jocks, and I thought I wanted to say uh, thank you. Quick shout-out to uh, several of our great guests we had on this week. Man, if you missed any of these interviews, all you've got to do is go back to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and you can listen to these interviews at your convenience uh, on our iTunes podcast as well. Just go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can listen to our interview we had with Ollie Cady. He's a coach 
throwing performance coach at the Texas Baseball Ranch where they teach not only correct form but how to do it, how often to do it. We also uh, interviewed head football coach at Hardin-Simmons University who's getting ready to go see the uh, Texas high school championship games this uh, this weekend, Coach Jesse Burleson. We also had on um, Jeremy Carver, the uh, D1 Abilene physical therapist, and uh, Brandon Hawk, uh, athletic trainer, and uh, D1 Abilene uh, general manager. They were talking about recovering some athletes, getting ready for the high school football games. You also had on Dr. Peter Seidenberg, the head coach for Penn or head team physician for Penn State, as well as uh, all Big 12 middle linebacker Eddie Lackey. Hey, we want to say thank you to all our wonderful guests that come on, as well as all our wonderful fans that listen to the show. From all of us here on Docs and Jocks, myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter, we'll see you next week here on Docs and Jocks.